Sunday, October the 1st, 2023. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said Podcast. We have some Sunday racing for you. It is a big day at Woodbine. They have the Breeders' Stakes, so we're going to talk about the early pick five, and I'll give some analysis on that big race coming up on Sunday at Woodbine. Also, some best bets for Santa Anita Sunday opening weekend there. We take a look throughout the card. I think I have uh, some thoughts on races 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7. So all the middle races, we have an opinion to share. Then we'll get to Ahsoka, episode 7 of an 8-episode season. So we have just one more to come. Tim Kelly joins me. We deep dive episode 7. Spoiler alert, we get into everything from Ahsoka, everything in the world of Star Wars, And then to finish up, I put the recording that we had the other day of NFL Week 4. I cut off the Thursday night games, so that way all the Sunday and on stuff there, if you want to listen to that, you can check out the NFL previews with Eric. So we'll go Sunday racing, first up Woodbine, then we'll go to Santa Anita, then we will head on over and talk Ahsoka Episode 7, and then at the end, you'll have the NFL game previews from uh, earlier in the week. On this episode of That's What G Said, that is presented by full-service realtor Cindy Carava, the website C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A.com, and as a full-service realtor, she can help you out with buying, with selling, with leasing. She can help connect you with the right type of lenders if you need help with the the loan process. Maybe you need help with home improvement. She can connect you to the right type of vendors, uh, all sorts of uh, painters, gardeners, landscapers, great folks that she has experience working with. C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A.com. Let's get right on into the Sunday racing. First up, it's Woodbine. Let's preview that early pick five. There's a $100,000 guarantee in the pick five that starts in race two. And then we'll get on into race number nine, which is the Breeders Stakes. So we spent about 15, 20 minutes talking some Woodbine. Let's make some money on Sunday. Time to talk about another big day of racing up at Woodbine. I got to say, Woodbine, they do the really big days so, so well. It is the Breeders' Stakes, the final jewel of the OLG Canadian Triple Crown. We have a large field lining up. I think there are 14 entered with an also eligible, uh, 14 entered with, I guess, a couple also eligible. So uh, we will have a huge field, great betting opportunity and keep in mind at woodbine.com, they'll give you all the details, everything you need. You can get those free digital DRFPPs there and um, all the details on the big day. Plus, there's a $100,000 guaranteed early pick five every Saturday and every Sunday. A couple stakes races on the card, and the big highlight is the breeder stakes. So what I'm going to do on this uh, little video, I will talk about the early pick five races two through six, and then we'll dive in and discuss the breeder stakes a little bit. Remember, I'm going to look at the DRF past performances, those daily racing form PPs. You can get them for free when you sign up for a DRF bets account. All you have to do go right now to DRF bets, use the promo code uh, winning when you sign up, and then they'll give you a match deposit all the way up to 250. 
So why not take advantage of it? Deposit 250. They'll give you an extra 250. Boom. You got 500. They give you a $10 free bet for registering. And right off the bat, they load you up with 10 free formulator cards. A card is one track like we're going to be looking at here for Woodbine for Sunday. Let's take a look here. Race two is when that early pick five kicks off. So $100,000 guaranteed pick five in the second. I like the one a little bit. Good news money. She was down on the inside, was fourth, fifth, was in a little bit of traffic, then moved up to third, was just behind the leaders, um, ended up not far behind Coco's dream in here. Honestly, the couple horses that come out of that same race on September the 9th, I liked good news money and then princess on a mission I thought was the horse to beat. I'll try to get out of this race just using those two and hoping that, you know, there this is not that much early speed in this race, right? So I'm thinking... Those two will be forwardly placed. I would imagine the seven, probably the five, going to be, you know, trying to show some speed, but the five's not really fast. I think a horse that sort of just used the inside and pushed through. That's why I think the one sits a really nice trip in here. I'd love to see them get a, a bit aggressive and be either, you know, taking advantage of the rail and getting on the lead or getting close to it, sitting right behind possibly the seven. Princess on a mission. Let's use one and seven to kick off that early pick five. It's race number two. Third race. Now, in this one, I like the five a little bit super classy. Most recently, his last two races have been very, very good. Prior to that, he was just facing a little bit tougher. He's, and he had some capable races. Like he ran into the very sharp, quite ready. He ran into Patches O'Houlihan in a race that's come back extremely live. Patches O'Houlihan since then. Uh, he's won, I think, the next two to three races because he's only lost one ever. And now he's won back-to-back graded stakes races. Aim for the Sky came out of that race to win next time out. And uh, Gatling Gun also was a next out winner. So we're talking about an extremely live race, that super classy exits most recently. Um, and uh, super classy, or that was the race that super classy was in, uh, you know, back in June. Recently, Dropping down, that's when we've seen him show some improvement, and it's just because he's found a, a better level. And I think right here at this $25,000 claiming level, he's a nice fit off of that last effort. And he's shown the ability to come from off the pace, but he has some tactical speed, lots of things to like about super classy. Others in here, the two Richies in the house, I think it's an obvious player. This one should be sending hard. Having sort of a tough time figuring out exactly what happens with the pace that's why I'm using the two more underneath because I feel like he'll probably run into the six early on, and those two might be battling up front. The four, Fitzpatrick, should get a good setup if that is the case. If those two end up battling, Fitzpatrick isn't as fast as them early, but shows some, some versatility. And again, he's a horse who has some tactical speed, doesn't need to be too far out of it, but he can finish. Uh, also can come from way farther back if if they're going too fast early. The three, Halley's Hero, another one who's just a major player, obviously. This is an eight-year-old who loves to win races. He's an 11-time winner. I just have him a couple low, some of the others in here. I thought 5-2-4-3 was a good way to rank them, depending on how deep you want to go or how deep you can go in this race. That's how I stacked them. The fourth race, going six furlongs on the turf in here. I thought the six proven strategies, second off the short break, made some sense. This is a horse who's faced some pretty tough company. And as of late, he's had just some, uh, some trouble putting races together. Look at his form. seems like every time he's run, 
off for a couple months, just has a hard time building that fitness level up when you're doing that constantly. I think he will be able to fire a big effort because he's stringing two races together in here. He's another, like we talked about in prior races, where he has some really nice positional speed, and he's kind of adaptable to a, a lot of different race shapes. Let's give Proven Strategies a big look. I thought the eight was the horse to beat. Niagara Skyline doesn't have a whole lot of bad uh, things to say about. Uh, I don't have a whole lot of bad things to say about this one. Doesn't have a whole lot of bad form lines. Loves this Woodbine turf course. Chance to just sit a nice trip throughout in here. Others uh, that uh, may be interesting. Sir Seamus Fella. This barn is excellent for a start off the claim. And you know, Seamus has some really nice races on the turf to go back to. If they can make any sort of adjustment with this new barn, Seamus could be intriguing at a price. The seven, like the lamp, not the rat. Like the lamp, not the rat. Horse who's pretty quick. And I hate dismissing this type of early speed. I think if anyone has a shot of going gate to wire in here, it might be this horse. And I see like two, maybe two major main speeds in here. And sometimes I have a hard time leaving one of those two out. So I threw in both Sir Seamus and Light the Lamp in case those are uh, the two big speeds. Six, eight, three, and seven. I'll use combinations of those. In the fifth race, it's the Ontario Damsel, mile and 16th on the synthetic. I thought the two Sal's blue jacket has a shot to wire this field. She's not the most likely winner of this race. She's not quite as good as with her overall resume. It's what some of the others have proven, but she's lightly raced. Everything she's done makes sense. In her debut, she actually ran on the synthetic. Then she was off from September of 2022 all the way to June of this year. Showed back up in June at Delaware, wired a field on the turf, then was in a race that was taken off the turf on a on an off track at Colonial, showed speed and then backed up, and then was a winner at Colonial last time out. And in this race, there's no other early speed. I think it, she's got to be in here to go. We'll see how good she is, but she's working well. She's run well in synthetic. She's lightly raced. She has some nice upside. And I think everyone else will be very content with their positions sitting off the pace. Let's see if she can catch a flyer in here. And the, the three and the four are obviously the major players. Love to shop is the uh, Philly that beat the boys. And she came from way out of it. And again, it's hard to really knock much of what she's done. Solo album. Tried the turf again last time out, but she's just much better on the synthetic, and she ran a big race here a couple starts back. I'm going to use the two, though, as that flyer. The three and the four would be the logicals in here. Race six closes out that pick five sequence. But the three contrivance with the blinkers coming off should be a pace factor in here and maybe able to relax a little bit with those blinks coming off. The nine sparklet feels like with any improvement, this guy's going to be right there. You've got the one bar talk who takes the blinkers off, dropping in class, a uh, pace factor at that one. Uh, both the six and the seven were horses that I could get to at prices. Samurai challenged his career debut, was not bad, and then just missed the break last time out, so couldn't show any progression. The six, Mucho Magnifico, never got involved in the debut, but very capable win early barn, and this horse got action. In that debut race, I went three nine as my top tier. I put the one bar talk as a next horse to use. Then below them would be the six and the seven. So there's a look at that pick five sequence for 
Sunday, the early pick five, $100,000 guaranteed. And remember, you can play for just a 20-cent-based wager. In the Breeders, race number nine, you have eight horses that return from the King's Plate. And this one is a a mile-and-a-half turf race. I love this field. I like this group of three-year-olds. I really do. We have Cal Kokopu, who's been so consistent throughout. You've got Paramount Prince, who was the winner of the uh, King's Plate, came back and was third, a really tough beat third in the Prince of Wales. You know, you have others in here, like Elysian Field, who was the runner-up in the King's Plate, your Woodbine Oaks winner. You've got Wickenheiser, who was your Woodbine Oaks runner-up. Um, and Wickenheiser then came back and was second last time out against Phillies again. That was on the turf. So many really nice horses and uh, different directions to go. I'm going to look at the number 11, though. Touch and Ride. So with Touch and Ride, he's lightly raced. In his career debut, he tried the turf, and it was very good. He made a big four-wide move all the way up to contend, and he really kept grinding. He tried hard that day. He's worked on the turf recently multiple times, and he's bred for the turf. In fact, he has two siblings that won on the turf, including Nipawa, who won this race back in 2018, the Breeders. So we've got a couple siblings that won on the turf, one of them that won this exact race. He's bred for this to go long. So everything to me that relates to turf is a positive for him. The only race he's shown on the turf was good, and it was in his debut. He's a better horse now. He can build off of that. He's worked on the turf a couple times since then, and he's bred for the grass and bred to go even longer. This is probably a trip he would prefer. In his second start, breaks his maiden, earns a 91 buyer speed figure in winning that race, and heading into the king's plate, he was actually the horse who had the best buyer speed figure of, uh, of any horses in the entire field. And now we've seen, you know, Paramount Prince was able to surpass that uh, in the King's Plate. But Touch and Ride wins impressively in that second start. Just sits a really nice trip. And then in the King's Plate, we can watch it and take a look at the replay here. He's the number 11. Remember, we're in a field of 17. And it's just a tough trip for him. It's like how a lot of horses have a trip in the Kentucky Derby with so many horses and so much traffic. He he's actually has a really good start. He's not far out of it early on. And you can see they're just trying to figure out where to go with him and they don't want to be aggressive. So they decided to take back instead of chasing and getting out there with Paramount Prince. And now all of a sudden, instead of being in that second flight, touch and ride ends up getting a little too far back. He's out hooked wide. He's in between. He gets shuffled back and he was way closer up. And I think he's going to be a lot closer up in here. I really do. Expecting him to be much more forwardly placed. And all of a sudden, look how far back he is now. Just not in a good spot. And remember, the winner of this race goes gate to wire. So there's no passing in this race. He's super wide. I think at this point, he's like 12th in the field. Way out wide before moving back into contention. So I didn't hold this race against him too much at all. Watch him try to make a big move here. He tries to go wide. And get, in, and get into contention, but you know, the, the top horses had already separated. He's got the yellow cap here who's trying to angle out and come and get him, but all he can do is finish fifth. There's just not much passing going on here late. These horses who had all separated now can touch and ride, just sit closer. I hope so. 
I think that's going to be the case in here. He's the play for me. He is six to one on the morning line. And if I can get anything over four, I think that's fair value on him. I think he deserves to be probably the third choice in here behind uh, Elysian Field and Paramount Prince. And so I think it's a great spot for touch and ride. There's a look at Sunday at Woodbine, another big Sunday at Woodbine. Next week is another big week at Woodbine. We'll make sure to have a video for you there, previewing all the big races, giving you all the details and all the information. Sunday, it's the Breeders' Stakes Sunday, October the 1st. It's the final jewel of the OLG Canadian Triple Crown. Don't forget, you can get those free DRF pass performances when you sign up and you play through DRF bets. Good luck on Sunday. Let's head on over to Santa Anita for Sunday. Remember, every Saturday and Sunday at Santa Anita, they have those Pick'em contests. They're totally free. If you go to the website, Pick'em, P-I-C-K-E-M dot SantaAnita.com, you have to answer 12 questions. They're prop questions. Um, They're based on football games for Sunday, college football games for Saturday, and then questions just pick the winner of race number five at Santa Anita. Free to enter, and then every Saturday, Sunday, there's a winner that gets $1,000 doesn't cost you anything check it out let's get to Santa Anita's third race about the eight Vegas burner a little bit interesting in here I don't know who is fast enough to go with him early on he's always shown speed but he did show his best career finish on the turf is in the first couple races like his second start was in a strong race it was not bad but he ran second on the turf going six furlongs which is this exact trip against maiden specials that was back in february following that he was in a tough race against conclude on a good turf course and then the april 22nd race was one that was followed by a layoff he's gonna go as a first time gelding here he gets that ultimate equipment change maldonado jumps aboard big speed on the eight Vegas burner 12 to 1 on the morning line make sure to throw in some of your early exotics the fourth race it's just a small field it's the grade two Zenyatta but the way I'm seeing this thing play out the one Adair Manor is gonna go she's sharp she's won four in a row she's overall in this field a standout based on resume right next door though micro share feels like she's in this race to help get a little pace for window shopping. Now, MicroShare is in nice form. She's won you know three races in a row herself, but I think she's got to be the horse that puts the pressure on Adair Manor. If she does, it, it could set up really well for window shopping. I think window shopping has more tactical speed than Desert Dawn, and we could see Adair Manor with MicroShare putting a little pressure and then window shopping sitting right behind and being the beneficiary. She went back to the turf last time out. She hooked a very nice filly named Anna Set. That was window shopping's first start in a few months. And I think getting back to the dirt, if she's able to progress it all off of that uh, Summertime Oaks race in June, I think window shopping fits. And she's run her best races here at Santa Anita over this main track. She's 5-1 to one on the morning line in a small field. The fifth race is the unzip me. It's down the hill. I thought the three free and humble was interesting cutting back. She just tried too tough of company last time out in the John C maybe against graded stakes foes going a mile and an eighth. Probably a little too tough. Probably a little too far. Now the big cutback. Last time she was sprinting. She broke her maiden going six furlongs. She was third going six and a half prior to that. And that race was on the straight six and a half. This one's down the hill. And it feels like that should be perfect for her. 
So free and humble, turning back in distance. He's 12-1 to on the morning line. Make sure to use her in your early exotics and in all exotics. Sixth race is the Grade 3 Tokyo City Cup. Mile and a half on the dirt. Not a real strong opinion in here. I just think Azul Coast could be tough third start off the bench. Tried the turf last time out. Didn't fire. Two starts back in the Cougar the second. He did finish second that day behind order and law. And keep in mind, that was the first start for Azul Coast in like 10 months. So he probably needed the race. He could be very fit now and ready for a big one. So Azul Coast would be the top play in there, but not a horse I'm going to be lining up at the windows to bet. In the seventh race, it's the John Henry Championship, the John Henry Turf. I thought the eight was a bit interesting. I'm trying to find who can sit a nice trip in here because I'm thinking that Balladeer and Master of Hounds might be a little annoying to one another and they might both be flashing some early speed. I don't know if it's going to be enough to set up for the deep, deep closers. I'm trying to get cash equity sitting closer than he might be. Maybe I'm just playing that out in my head, but I really... I think he's got a little more tactical speed than he's shown in his last couple. So maybe we can see Cash Equity sitting a nice trip. Maybe sitting third or fourth in here in 8-1 uh, on the morning line. It's a look at Sunday at Santa Anita. Every day there's racing at Woodbine. Every day there's racing at Santa Anita. We will have some analysis, some best bets, either a segment here on the podcast or uh, video segments on social media. So make sure you give us a follow on Twitter. It's me, Gino B. There's some Sunday racing for you. Let's move on over and get to the next segment, Ahsoka, the deep dive, the newest TV show on Disney Plus from Star Wars, and we are all the way through seven episodes of the eight-episode season one. Tim Kelly has been with us for each of the episodes to recap the deep dive, and he is back to talk about episode seven. So spoiler alert, we jump into Ahsoka, part seven. We just finished up with part seven, episode seven of Ahsoka season one. This is dreams and madness. So we are through part seven of an eight part season. Don't know if there's going to be another season of Ahsoka. We have one more episode to discuss and we can talk about how we think it'll all end this season. We have uh, all the pieces on the board and just like Thrawn, we have to plot out what's going to happen. Tim Kelly joins us as always. TK buddy. What'd you think of episode seven, Dreams and Madness? I know I really liked this one. Uh, it wasn't perfect. I had a few complaints, uh, kind of similar to previous episodes in uh, you know character motivation, things not feeling like they played out the way I would imagine them to. You know, realistically, a little bit too understated the reunite the the, the reunitings in the in this series so far. Uh, that that's probably my biggest complaint. But man, we brought a lot of action to the table in this. This felt big. Uh, my biggest disappointment was probably that. I'm starting to come around to, to the idea that, you know, the, this series would be better as a, as a movie. I think we cut out a lot of the fat. There's so much good stuff going on here. I would have loved to see this on the big screen, but great episode. I, I actually really like this. And there's the quality of it you can feel. And we're going to get to a Thrawn movie at some mm-hmm. point. Um, this is basically what we're, we'll be setting up. But I agree. I thought this was a good just a good episode overall, like really solid. Felt like a B plus ish episode to me. Like mm-hmm. you're saying, there's just a, a few things here and there that we can nitpick, but mm-hmm. 
the, those are the way that they want to present their relationships to us, I guess, with this. So <laughs> that's how they want to present them. Um, but I, I, I liked a lot of this. I think we do get a, a better sense for Thrawn and his, um, his ingenious as, um, as a, an admiral and as like a, a general right. here, sort of comparing him the to tactician. a lot of, yeah, the dark yeah. side, um, normally comes off of like very stupid. Right, like they're right. like dumb, dumb criminals. We see that this guy is actually really, really smart, and a lot of what he does makes makes a ton of sense. It's a smart way of trying to track people and find out about mm-hmm. their history. And the more we see Thrawn and we find out about him, we understand that oh yeah, this guy he means business. Yeah, it seems like they're really going for his character as this this tactician who's playing four D chess. Uh, you know, Ahsoka and Sabine, they're engaging on a one level and he's, you know, thinking on a completely different level. He's willing to, you know, give up the battle in order to win, you know, the greater war. Uh, and, he, you know, he's got his eyes on that target. Um, so I, I appreciated that, especially when it when that was kind of revealed toward the end of the episode. Um, but probably this one of the biggest complaints I would have for this episode was was kind of just that in general, like that this episode felt a little bit like filler and that it was a little bit inconsequential. It kind of moved the pieces forward, but we were left sort of in the same place as we were before. Um, and it felt like it, I don't know, it had like a TV trope to the way the the the, the writing was structured to it. Like how, it, you know, we had this big climactic, you know, fight and these action sequences and a lot of stuff. It felt like stuff was happening and, and going to move forward and, and, and change. But then we kind of got left right where we left off, like that old, you know, TV trope. And I just felt like, man, wouldn't this be better as uh, a big, moving, sweeping, epic film? Um, and maybe it wouldn't feel so much like we were spinning wheels or, you know, just kind of uh, a placeholder episode. Uh you know, yeah, that was time towards this bigger moment. That was the the uh, the com- complaint, I guess, about this episode that I heard from mm. um, from other places and reading recaps too. Is what you hit. It's not. It wasn't that the content, a lot of what we were getting on screen, was bad or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it just, I think, comes down to again for me, like the way the timing and the pacing of some of these shows, right? Mm-hmm. Just yeah. Um, some things that you want to elaborate a little bit more on, others that we may not have needed to like, I just, I don't mm-hmm. know if we were getting more of the Ezra stuff or mm-hmm. maybe getting more of Ezra here, that would be fine. I don't, I feel like we still didn't get a whole lot of Ezra really. No, uh, not enough, not and, enough. And so the fight, the fight stuff, we got some great, you know, I, I think we got some great moments yeah. with him. Uh, but yeah, like, I feel like some of that was just underwritten. I mean, we got him kind of recapping, you know, these big events of of you know the Star Wars that was universe, kind of cringy, right? A little irony. So it was done in this nonchalant kind of way where we're just kind of yada yadding it. Like, the oh, story here's, and here's that what felt... happened in the trilogies. Like here's what happened here, oh. and like yeah, that one made me kind of go. It's and why do it like that? Why not show his actual reaction like the first time? We're not even seeing him process it emotionally. We're seeing it kind of after the fact. Uh, if we saw him learn all that stuff for the first time, there's there's an emotional movement there. There's there's Absolutely. a punch to it, but we're seeing it after he's already kind of processed it a little bit, and he's just kind of reiterating it. Like, why are we missing that moment off screen? We're missing a lot of, I think, key interesting moments off screen in order to just kind of move the story forward. And we're we're, we're just a 
all of a sudden we find ourselves in the next place in the story without actually experiencing, you know, the moments we should have gone through, I think. If and if there is a reason why in this final episode, it will make some sense. But but the problem is I don't know if that's coming. Like what why mm. is Ezra okay with Sabine not telling him the rest of the story? That just doesn't well, make sense to me. I don't I don't very like, ridiculous. Yeah. Why is he like, yeah. oh, okay, cool. Just don't tell me about the rest and why you're only here alone and how you got here. And Ugh. yep, like I'm yeah. just going to be content <laughs> sitting next to you right now for a little, like, I'm I'm sorry. That, that does not, but when at the end of the episode, yeah. when Ahsoka embraces Ezra, that's yeah. how you're supposed to embrace someone. Like, that's what I was expecting from Sabine. It- like it was closer. It was closer well, to it. it but will, even still, I I still had complaints about that. To be fair, because well, um, for me that was the first smile. Like that was one of the first smiles that you sort of get from Ahsoka. Yeah. Like she actually looks like a person um, who is happy to see a guy. There there is something weird with this because I just with yeah. with the relationships and the reuniting of them. Like yeah, I, it, it just, I, I think you were hitting on it. I I didn't. I don't feel it enough. They don't make you feel that moment enough of these characters right. coming back together. That, like, that, that's you don't a see big. It on, yeah, it's big. You don't see it on their face, right? Like, uh, like I just watched, uh, I rewatched uh, with my son for the first time, episodes four and five. So A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back. At the end of A New Hope, I couldn't get over how emotional Luke, Han, and Leia were. They embrace each other at, at the end. Like, and it's this huge, cathartic, big moment. Their faces are lit up. There's so yeah. much emotion and They're hugging each other as, as they get off, uh, as Luke gets out of the X-Wing. And it's this great, big, grand moment. And that's the sort of energy that you would have in that reuniting. And I feel like they, the direction and maybe the writing was just a little bit too, it, it emphasized a little bit too much of the being understated I know. Uh, aspect of things. And, and don't need that. Like, don't, don't need to underplay. This is a big moment. Let, let us feel this big moment here. You don't stop being too cool for school. I, I, that was Sabine's character doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, she's yeah. willing to, <laughs> she's literally willing to sacrifice herself or throw away the entire world for a guy that she doesn't even want to come give a hug to, you know, like, yeah. it's just like that, that continues to, to scratch my head a little bit. And I, I, the, the one thing I can sort of like, I can come to terms with in my head a little bit is okay. Maybe Sabine is trying to, trying to make Ahsoka and some of the others not come off as bad. Right. Cause they were mm-hmm. basically saying, Hey, we're, we're willing to sacrifice Ezra and let mm. him die. Maybe point. she's yeah. trying to like protect that and not tell Ezra, hey, look, I was the only one that really wanted to come save you. They didn't even want to yeah. come do this. I don't know, because that's the only thing in my head that sort of makes a little bit of sense. Even that, yeah. I, I'm like, I'm I'm trying a little too hard for them here. You know what I mean? Like that that's still I agree. I can't quite like I can get that there's something there, but it still doesn't validate the way that mm-hmm. they've presented it to me. Um God, I gotta yeah. tell you. I want to punch mm-hmm. Senator Ziono. Man, that guy's a dick. <laughs> he's he's yeah, such yeah. a dick. He's a, a little over the top almost with how, yeah. how just antagonistic he is in that courtroom. Uh, <laughs> I, I enjoyed the courtroom scene overall. I thought that, you know, you know, 
for this episode, at least, it was a little bit inconsequential. There was nothing about that that really paid off. It was kind of this isolated thing at the beginning. I, you know, I love saying familiar timing, face. C three PO was cool. Yeah, like, yeah, it exactly. Could be, it could. It's it's a scene that is fine. I have no problem with the scene. Mm-hmm. It just maybe was needed in the last episode. You know, like maybe, in a different yeah. in a different place. Like maybe before we got here to see this, and then we right. moved. Mm-hmm. It, I agree with you. It's just there's sometimes where we cut back and forth, and it felt like we're in a good place. Did we need to cut out of there? You know, yeah. like that yeah. was that was how I felt sometimes in these last two episodes in particular as uh, we basically now have Ahsoka and Huyang arriving on uh, Pridia. And for mm-hmm. the most part, a lot of our major players now are on uh, Peridia. We have Ahsoka there trying to find Sabine and Ezra. We have Balin and Shin. They're also looking for Sabine and Ezra. They're trying to hunt them. We have Thrawn and Morgan. They're trying to get all of the 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 final threads uh, completed. He's um, loading all this cargo for their uh, exit back into uh, into our space, into our galaxy. So for the most part, everything's on the board, but you're right. Not a whole ton happens by the time we hit the end of the episode. We, we have mm-hmm. just some some of the pieces on the board are just sort of moved in, in different pieces, like different areas. Um, that's yeah. sort of where we are. We don't know what Balin scrolls motivations are right now. We don't exactly know mm-hmm. what comes next for him. He left his apprentice, basically told her, you know, your training's done. You go off on your own. You have different motivations yeah. than me. What do you think is going to be the end for this character in the finale of this season, TK? Well, you know, I, I think it's kind of wide open for, for Bailey here. I think, you know, no idea. Uh, I, I foresee, obviously, Ray Stevenson has passed. Rest in peace. Uh, that seems to put a, a likely, uh, you know, finale in his future. I mean, I, Star Wars has been um, very hesitant to recast anyone. I mean, case in point, this episode would have been perfect opportunity to bring in Billy Lord or a new Princess Leia as opposed to C-3PO here. Uh, but uh, I, I digress. With Balin, I think um, I think it might come down to the war between the world between worlds. And I got to give credit. I believe uh, I heard this theory on Screen Crush. Uh, Screen Crush. I got to give credit to. Uh, but what if Balin goes into the world world between worlds somehow, interacts with Palpatine, and that is the somehow in which Palpatine returned. Boom. I think that would actually tie everything together. And, you know, it would actually make a whole lot of sense of this world between worlds. Uh, And maybe we'll see a little bit more of that in the finale. Uh, I I personally wasn't thinking that until I heard uh, the screen crush analysis. And now I'm kind of all in on that. It's it's hard. Yeah, I was going to say, once you hear that, it's hard not to want to go there and to try to make sense of all of it. Um, So we get a couple of our main characters doing battle again uh, in this episode, some good action towards the end. Mm-hmm. And then we get that reuniting moment with Ezra, with Sabine, with Ahsoka. We'll talk about how it could have been better. Maybe we could have felt it a little bit more. Let's get into episode seven dreams mm-hmm. and madness. We pick up with the, uh, what happened Sounds on like a Meek Mill song. It, 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 I was going to say, huh? Very well played. Very well played. As uh, we open up in Coruscant, 
We are in high court, and Senator Ziono is just ripping on General Hera Sindula. Remember, General Sindula has kind of gone off on her own. She's trying to help uh, Ahsoka, Sabine. She's trying to help them find Ezra, but more than anything, eliminate the possibility of Thrawn's return. And the the court, uh, especially Senator Ziono, they think she's lying. They think she's just she's being selfish. She's doing what she wants to do to find her friend. A lot of her reports talk about star whales and Jedi, all these things that are basically thought of like myths. So they don't even believe her um, for the most part. Even Mon Mothma here, who we know is has good motivations, she's not mm-hmm. really able to defend her a whole lot uh, initially. Yeah. It's our buddy the 3PO. Who who luckily comes in and saves the day? Yeah, and it was it was great to see three uh, PO. I, I don't believe it was the original uh, actor playing him. There's something a little bit different about different. Uh, the the way he moved around. But it was, yeah, there's some nice member berries in that moment. I I, I didn't hate it, um, and I, I shouldn't say that I actually liked it. Uh, but I did feel again like oh man, wouldn't it be great if we had Leia here? Like I I, I think that the continuing adventures of Han, Luke, and Leia are something that should be woven into the story a, a little bit more. And I, I get it that this is that. That's what they're doing here by putting C-3PO in. But it does feel a little bit also like a compromise. It's yeah. something that they're doing because the actual real Leia is not there. Um, and if, if um, you know, if she were still alive, Carrie Fisher uh, and and uh, C-3PO showed here, w- showed up here instead of her we would just assume oh they didn't want to pay for for princess leia so yeah it's it's a cheapening of it you know what i mean Uh, it's not it's it could be better if we had a real person there i think or even if it was leia and c-3po that would be you know double the fun Um, yeah it's it's uh, hard because like i get what you say it's like it's nice to see him it's cool that we have a moment we get like the nostalgia and like it, it actually is a good like it's a good scene for him to come in and have to save the day mm-hmm. a little bit, right? It makes sense. He's a droid. He's yeah. got this information. He can sort of fabricate something that has happened to to give a little cover to to the general. But you're right. Yeah. It just you can't help but for those of us who know what's happening, we can't help but do the mental math a little bit, right? Like, oh, this yep. would have been a moment for for Leia right there. Yeah. And we know she's passed. Did they not want to use the CGI for her? Is it a tech? technology thing or is it do they not want to do they not like the way it looks i don't know whatever the reason is but we're talking about that right because Mm -hmm. we know and that's sort of a problem um but but 3po does come in here and really save the day he says he has a message um on behalf of senator layer or leia organa the honorable senator organa has become aware of an unfortunate situation and wishes to present this data transcript which she hopes may resolve the matter. She personally sanctioned General Sindula's reconnaissance mission to Sitos, um, being unaware that Senator Ziono had held a vote against such a mission without her. Um, Ziono does not like this. This is preposterous. The court cannot admit evidence of this kind from a mere droid. And that pisses <laughs> off Chopper. Chopper does yeah. not like that. You, He's a droidist. Is what he is here, you know. <laughs> right, right. He's racist towards droids, and we don't like that at all. Um, C3PO said that Senator Organa is willing to overlook the misstep, but asks that uh, any further concerns are addressed directly to her because she is the leader of the Defense Council. Uh, so that's one of those that 
kind of puts a smile on Mon's face and on uh, mm-hmm. General Sindula's face. And Senator Ziono doesn't really have much to say when uh, when Leia is pulling the strings here. But I I wonder with Ziono, mm-hmm. like, did you do you think he's just a guy who is <laughs> is a little bit off, or do you think he is like? You know, he has some ties to the Empire or he is someone who's hiding something from, you know, from experience. uh, Every single time there's been a character who's been a little over the top in their, you know, a little overzealous in the way that they're antagonizing our protagonists. They're generally affiliated with the Empire Mm -hmm. or some dark forces or something like that. So, yeah, I would say uh, this guy is an Imperial remnant uh, and uh, they're they're foreshadowing that pretty heavy handedly. Uh, Similar to the the girl from Andor, right? Like the character from Andor, like who was who did a good job of playing the cover. But you could just tell there were, you know, Mm -hmm. there were moments here where she she let it uh, she let it slip and. And I think we saw even earlier, uh, was it in this series or the last series? But, but when we were, um, I can't remember what episode it was, but we were at uh, an area where we saw some Imperial remnants and Hera uncovered them. And it was it was very heavy handed in the way that they kind of foreshadowed it early on in the episode by the end of it. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it was the one with, the, with Christopher Lloyd, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yes. I can't remember yes. if that was this series or one of the last it was ones. The, uh, it was the last one where... Um... Yeah, it was, it was our our last series. Was that Mando? Yeah. yeah, it was. Was it Man? Yeah, it was the Mando when they showed up there, and mm-hmm. we had we had uh, the one we had that we had the one episode where we had some some fun characters there, some different different big characters. Yeah. So yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, a, a lot of what they're doing here is fine, but I I would have I would have liked to see like a scene where we know for sure he is. Right, like we we get to see mm-hmm. that scene where we have where he's talking to someone from the Empire or he's on the Shadow right. Council or something, so we know for sure because we really don't know if, like positively yet. And I, I would have liked to know mm-hmm. a little bit more by now. So I, I think I think what we'll get is like a one of these Hail Hydra moments at the at the yeah. end of the series where you know a bunch of the undercover people Shadow Council uh, withdrawn. Yeah, they'll, they'll, yeah, I think they'll be, you know, arrested or revealed or something like that, you know, at the end or, or you know, I, I think, um, you know, it would be nice to, to know a little bit uh, here and there, like drop those those hints and make it give the audience some information that the other characters don't have. So that it adds that that suspense and that tension. But uh, I, I have this gut feeling that they're just going to re- do the reveal kind of at the end of the series. So General Sindula and Mon Mothma prepare themselves for the worst, the possible return of Thrawn. We then check in with Ahsoka. We get the Ahsoka title screen, and we see her training. She's in her ship. She's inside the mouth of the Purgle in hyperspace, mm-hmm. and she's watching these old recordings that Anakin mm-hmm. recorded for her. I, I just I like the premise of this that yeah. he recorded these for her for training exercises. So mm-hmm. she could watch these when she was training and Anakin – their Anakin recording lessons and uh, teachings for her. And you see her you know, continuing around as he talks. You know, In this war, you're going to face more than droids. General Grievous, uh, Asajj Ventress, Count Dooku, any one of them on the battlefield. It's my responsibility to prepare you. Practice these forms often or at least more than I do. Uh, I won't always be there to look out for you. If we get separated or if something happens – you need to be able to make it on your own. Don't be afraid. Remember what I taught you and trust your instincts. 
I know you can do this. And as she's finishing up, uh, Hu Yang walks out and she <laughs> lets Hu Yang know he, he made 20 of these recordings. He was a good master. She feels like she's come to terms now with mm-hmm. who Anakin was. That was something that she struggled with forever. Anakin's transition into Darth Vader. And I think she felt right. like she had a lot of responsibility for it. She let mm-hmm. him down. But what she encountered in the world of world world between worlds, sort of her um um her battle with her inner self, she's basically become, you know, Ahsoka the White. She seems like she's at peace right. with everything that's happened now. Yeah, absolutely. I think um I think her perspective on Anakin has has shifted uh, and that she's let go of the guilt that she was carrying uh, for him turning to the dark side. And I think that that guilt and the weight of of that experience and that trauma was causing her uh, self-doubt that she was carrying forward. And it was actually this block that was uh, causing her to not be able to complete her Jedi training. She's this incomplete. She she's nearly a Jedi, but she's not fully there. I think the the white form is indicative of her kind of uh, final level, uh, the final ascension, uh, full Jedi. Um, and because for Ahsoka uh, and for most yeah. TK, not to interrupt, mm-hmm. it's it's not a physical thing. That's your final part, right? It's a it's a mental. It's how you come together mm-hmm. with everything. Like we're seeing with Sabine and yeah. some of the. The the trainees that struggle early, it's they're not there mentally yet. Right, right. Yeah, and I think that uh, similarly, we're going to see Ezra play that that role uh, to Sabine in, in the way that these stories will rhyme to each other and the masters and the, the apprentices and how they um, will will play off of each other. I think that's uh, that Ezra will give uh, Sabine more confidence in herself. That's part of what he's done in this episode. So. Uh, he's going to be a, play a pivotal role in uh, her own battle with her own self doubt and 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 her coming um, to uh, to terms with herself and you know uh, uh, coming of age so to speak uh, being her own version of a full fledged Jedi or this Mandalorian Jedi hybrid badass. So, Hu Yang lets Ahsoka know it seems as if they have uh, arrived at their destination. I I do like some of the little interactions with Ahsoka and Hu Yang. She just it feels like she just has such a a, a fun time messing with him, mm-hmm. and you know, yeah. and, and she she jokes with him quite often. Uh, she said, or Hu Yang lets her know, you know, if we are in another galaxy, our our charts are useless. And she's super calm. You know, Sabine came here with the enemy. If we find the enemy, we'll find her. Hu Yang says, I, I want to point out that you're assuming the Star Whales have brought us to the correct galaxy, let alone the same system or even the same planet that Lady Ren was taken. And yeah. Ahsoka just smiles. She's, I think the odds are pretty good. No, no. In fact, they're terrible, astronomically terrible. And then she says, well, you should have said something. And he gets he starts to get all like worked up and she just smiles. Yeah. And the, the, that part is like it's cute. You know, just the, yeah. the little back and forth between the the two of them, and Hu Yang says, uh, "The worst part is, I I actually hope you're right." Yeah. As uh, we hear a big rumbling, and they exit hyperspace, and Hu Yang is detecting something weird. Uh, there's all sorts of objects in their uh, in their wake, and it's a minefield. So in front of Peridia, there's this minefield that that's. Um, Difficult to, to navigate your way through mm-hmm. um, 
and it was funny because they're they're right amongst all the whales. And as Huyang says, mm-hmm. at least the whales are providing us cover. Then the whales yeah. like jump to hyperspace and, and they're not there anymore. Um, so they're just trying to got to knock on wood. Yeah. Yeah. Right. They're navigating moment. through a debris field. This is a very Star Warsy moment, right? You got to mm-hmm. get through this like minefield in order yeah. to get to the planet. Um, so Ahsoka and who, this is kind of a a lot like what this episode is, right? It's we're there Mm -hmm. at Peridia, but we have to get to a little bit more just to get there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it really, uh, the pace of the episode, you know, from this point forward, you know, the whole episode is pretty solid. It, it, it moves and mm-hmm. there's a lot of, you know, cross cutting, uh, between, you know, areas of Peridia, you know, you, you go to Balin, you go to Thrawn, um, and you go to the, the, the night sisters and, uh, and, uh, they're, they're all kind of interacting with each other and they're playing this game of cat and mouse, uh, where, you know, Thrawn's, you know, soldiers and, and they're, they're right on uh, Ahsoka's tail here. And I love the the way it starts in this minefield, um, which is just it's so densely uh, packed with, with mines. I don't know how they delivered that many mines. It reminds me of like the scale of in uh, Rise of Skywalker when there's all these starships there and you're like, how is that even possible? But it, it, it was, a, it was a interesting, cool thing to look at. And it looked like they were like uh, proximity mines that would, you know, sense the the whales nearby and then draw themselves. They would just attach to the whales. So uh, they were even more scary than a regular mine because they were, they would be coming at you. Um, I don't know why they didn't stay in the mouth of the Purgle. Uh, maybe that, I guess they would end up jumping away after there. So it kind of makes sense. Uh, but it seems like they lost their cover by doing that, um, which didn't make much sense to me. I do think we lost uh, an opportunity here, though, storytelling-wise, to add a little bit of stakes here. Uh, Avatar got this right. They were willing to kill a space whale or two uh, in the service of the story. Yep. Um, in this case, it felt like a little bit inconsequential that, I mean, these whales are going literally to a whale graveyard, and it didn't seem like one of them bit the bullet. And they're not uh, real, though, TK. PETA's not going right. to get on us here. <laughs> right? right? Like, exactly. we're not going to have... It's all there, CG. No Purgle were actually harmed in the filming of Ahsoka. So, um... <laughs> Exactly. I agree, I agree with you. It would have felt a little more if we would have seen one or two of them uh, yeah. just get kind of taken out, and that was the reason yeah. why Ahsoka and Huyang needed to exit the mouth of the Purgle, mm-hmm. right? That just would have made a little bit more sense than just like, oh, Absolutely. we're here, let's jump out of there. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and that—that's the biggest complaints I've had in this episode. We're not pacing like some of the previous ones. Uh, it was—it really came down to some logic stuff, some things little things like, like that. Well, yeah. If, if if that minefield existed as dense as it was with those proximity mines and these giant purgles flying through, a couple of them are getting taken out. It's just absolutely what, that's what they presented to us, but they didn't deliver on that. And there's a few things throughout the episode that just felt like the logic wasn't too solid. So we check back in with Thrawn, Enoch. When he talks, it's it's creepy, man. Mm-hmm. When he speaks. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, I really like Grand him. Ad- Grand Admiral, you anticipated the minefield was triggered. Yeah. It's just a like really cool, like scary vibe yeah. to him. And cool they, too. Yeah, real cool look. Um, they find that Ahsoka Tano is alive and well. So Morgan Elsbeth gives Thrawn all the intel on Ahsoka, and he learns that her master was General Anakin Skywalker. Now we know that. Thrawn is one of the few people in the galaxy that is able to deduce that 
Anakin Skywalker and Darth Vader are the same person. So he mm-hmm. he does know that. There are probably like as we know at the end of Rebels, there are only a few people that actually know Darth Vader is Anakin and Thrawn is one of them. So uh, mm-hmm. he's a smart guy that's that is able to really really deduce stuff from the information around him and Thrawn tells Enoch to withdraw the fighters and have them stand by. I like just his uh, his tactics in a lot of this. And Morgan asks him, why? Why would you withdraw the fighters? There's no need to waste our resources. Jedi are very good at hiding. They've been practicing that for years. We are getting to know our adversary. And if she's anything like her master, she's going to be unpredictable and dangerous. So we want to control all variables. Let's put her on a path of our own. Uh, so no matter what direction she takes, we are always one step ahead of her. You don't go blindly running after her. You sort of wait, see where mm-hmm. she's going, and you can follow from a, a safe distance. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, he's just very level-headed, very yeah. cerebral about everything he does. He's not um, someone who acts just, r- like, irrationally on emotions. Yeah, I'm definitely getting that uh, from the writing here, that, that that's the intention of the character. And I, I, I can buy that to an extent. Uh, I do think that this strategy, the strategy employs in this episode feels a little bit forced. It feels written. It doesn't feel like something that would be um, able to actually be fully realized in any sort of reality. The way the, the, the type of 40 chess that he's playing and the the odds that she's going to play into his hands, it, it, it feels a little bit, um, you know, it feels written. Um but uh, that said, I get that the character needs to operate on a level like that. I just think that it's it's still um, a little if, too if slow burn it, for me. Yeah, and if you think about it too too much, I think he has a lot of opportunities to just end the fight uh, without like dragging this on. And that's why, to me, it feels it feels written. It feels like the Occam's Razor uh, choices that you know a real strong would make in this situation, as silly as that sounds. Uh, it is that he would he would take them out with with this he would send more ships to them more more tide fighters mm-hmm. or something. he would he would be able to take them out like he had them he had to jump on them really with that minefield so uh, there's so many opportunities I think where he could have uh, you know played a hand r- rather than you know kind of sit back in the cut and wait for her to kind of fall into this kind of implausible trap and you, you know it's it confuses me a little bit with like. His motivations and like mm-hmm. Valen's motivations, for example, like a guy like right. Valen, we know who's a Jedi and we've been seen already mm-hmm. that like he doesn't want to just kill people for no reason. He doesn't want to yeah. like harm for no reason. He seems like he has a task to do. We mm-hmm. if that was how Thrawn was like if Thrawn was a Jedi and that was why. Right. He was someone who like he's evil, but he doesn't want to he still doesn't want to waste any meat on the bone. I don't know. There's mm-hmm. there's something still that they haven't presented with Thrawn quite yet. Mm-hmm. There's like a little bit of a disconnect in the live action versus how they've had him in Rebels. And I think that that's yeah. like in some of the animated stuff that they still haven't made him seem quite as evil. Like he's smart. Mm-hmm. He seems like he's right, smart right. and he's and like he, he some of the things that he's doing make sense. But I don't know. I I still feel like we were missing that evil scene that we're talking about where mm. we we're, we need to be a little more terrified of him. Um, yeah. So yeah, he, he, explain, he explains his strategy as we check back in with Kuyang and Ahsoka. The they are now being chased, and and as you said, we 
the rest of this episode is pretty quick. It feels fast because mm-hmm. we're cutting back and forth between sort of these yeah. three spots, Thrawn and the bad guys, Huyang and Ahsoka, and then Ezra and Sabine as they ride mm-hmm. along with the Note commune. Yeah, yeah this part is just a little caravan. Yeah, I like the look of it. They are like they're yeah. like a wagon, a covered wagon, and I like the yeah. how they're able to defend themselves and sort of fall Western back vibes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, fall backwards into these like covered like wagon type things. But mm-hmm. man, the conversation here with Ezra and the conversation. Ugh. <laughs> uh, he's like, I'm trying to process everything you told me. So, the Empire was defeated. Sabine says, "Yeah, Battle of Endor. The Empire died. That's what people say." Okay, so there's a new Republic, Zeb's training recruits, and Hera's commanding a fleet. I missed everything. Uh, Sabine says, it's been a while. I was beginning to think we'd never find you. So how did you find me? You never said. <laughs> eh, I don't like the worry first about thing it. they go over. Like, I mean, like, <laughs> what? How did you get here? <laughs> like, what? What? I'm like, in my head, I keep hearing that Peter Griffin from family. What? What? <laughs> like, right, right. Where he's just like over and over. What? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, do you know that trope in in a TV or movie when there's two characters and they have a conflict and one character just walks away and the other character just doesn't say anything when they would be like in real life they would go wait no let me clarify like this this, this misunderstanding here uh, but the, but in the in the movie or the show they they just let the character walk away because. That's what needs to happen in the story. One character needs to get mad at the other, and and they need to be separated because they're going to have to reunite later on, yada, yada, yada. Um, that always feel, feels fake and forced. This is, a similar, uh, this is a similar thing here where you've got two characters, and one is withholding this information. The other one desperately wants to know that information for obvious reasons, and then he just kind of lets it go. He doesn't, like, press doesn't a little any further. Sense. It makes no it sense. It doesn't make any sense. And it doesn't make sense that even th- that Sabine would be so withholding in her, her, her telling. You know, she cares about this person. And, yes, it's some hard information to uh, relay. She, uh, but you're not just going to play coy with it. No. Because e- even, even what I was trying to say was, like, she was, was defending Ahsoka and she didn't want to let Ezra right, know that. Right. Like, but you would start to tell the story and leave that part out. That's it. Like, you would tell what happened and then leave it out. We were getting right. ready, and like, you know, we were in this battle, and I, I, I had to make a choice. Like, it was going to be either they, they get rid of any opportunity to come and save you, or you know, like yeah. I had to make a choice, and I figured it was not a good choice. There's, we got to make like she's going to tell him the story, but now we got to make sure we don't let Thrawn get back. We got to do nope. She's just totally content with sitting there. Like, even even the fact, to me, like, mm-hmm. she's sleeping. How is she sleeping? What is she taking a nap for? Like, what is right. she so... Like, <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, she found Ezra. That's all she was worried about? She's not caring about saving the rest of the world anymore? Like... Yeah. <laughs> that's... Like, she's waking up from a nap when they yeah, see I mean... Like, what? Yeah. The characters have to sleep. I mean, that's that's a necessity, but it's like we don't need to necessarily see that. Like, we don't need to see them shit either. Like, yeah, these are human human functions that aren't really super relevant to the story. We get it that she was tired. We can assume that they had a nap at some point. Um, but yeah, there's no there's no logical reason that this character uh, Sabine would be 
uh, behaving this way. It's obnoxious. It's no. just obnoxious to withhold this kind of information in that context. And then for to, as an, an audience to see this, we didn't have to see that that conversation. It didn't make didn't make sense. They were having that conversation, and it didn't make sense that that was the conversation we were watching as it an audience. It didn't get us anywhere. All it did was no. frustrate us, as we are yeah, right now really. talking about it, because it just doesn't make sense for either I'll of those one, characters. One thing to kind of save it is that when I rewatched it, I had a little bit of a different uh, interpretation. By the end of the scene, I got the impression, on only on the second viewing, that Sabine, just after the scene, goes on to tell Ezra some more of the truth, that, that, that Ahsoka died and, and, and some more of that stuff. I don't know if she revealed all the details, but it, I think they're implying that Sabine does tell him a little bit more right at, at, as, as the scene concludes, as the scene concludes, sorry, after the scene concludes. Uh, and, but why would they do that? Why wouldn't they no. show us the actual thing? They just kind of the, hint That's the much more powerful moment, right? Like the words it's, that she's- insane. So yeah. frustration <laughs> with, with this part, definitely as uh, Balin, and Shin see the Noti group off in the distance. So they are coming closer and closer to Ezra and Sabine. Thrawn summons the Great Mothers. They perform some sort of witchcraft here to try to find Ahsoka. And mm-hmm. remember, we're in this new galaxy. So Huyang, none of Huyang's technology work. Um, right. None of his uh, trackers. Um, star a lot maps. Of his, yeah, star maps. Yeah. They don't work. So Ahsoka, she's going to go old school. She says, don't worry. Yeah. Got the force here. And she tries to use the force to connect with Sabine. Sabine mm-hmm. can sort of sense it. But Sabine, yeah. and this is kind of what was hitting on your point. It almost feels like Sabine was just telling Ezra what happened. And mm-hmm. then she like gets this thought of, it almost feels like a deja, like Sabine is experiencing deja vu or something. Where... Right. She just talked about Ahsoka, and now she she's getting the sense of Ahsoka. Sabine isn't one with the Force yet. She doesn't understand that mm-hmm. Ahsoka is trying to connect with her. And mm-hmm. uh, Ahsoka smiles. She can sense Sabine. She knows where they are. Mm-hmm. She sees them. And at that same moment, the Great Mothers can see Ahsoka using the Force. They locate Ahsoka. I like how... Um, Eric from New Rockstars mentioned it. Mm-hmm. Basically, like when you tap into the force and use the force, you're on a wavelength that others can also tap into and interrupt. Yeah. Um, and that's like what we're seeing here. As soon as uh, the force is being used by Ahsoka, the great mothers can sense that and they can also kind of tap into that to find mm-hmm. where Ahsoka is. Um, yeah. She smiles, it though. Cr- she- Go ahead. I like how they triangulate, they literally triangulate uh, her her coordinates. I love uh, the visual in the metaphysical of physical sense. Yeah, yes. that was so cool because it's this melding of of uh, of like sci-fi and and fantasy. There, it feels very, it feels like a computer mixed with magic. You know, I love I love the idea of that. And Thrawn gives the order to Captain Enoch. You now have the coordinates where Ahsoka is. Open fire. Um, now Ezra, we just check in quickly. Ezra can sense that something's up with Sabine, but Sabine doesn't really even know what's up. She just mm-hmm. says she has a feeling and that feeling is Ahsoka quickly back to Ahsoka 
she's being followed by Thrawn's men. Big explosions now as Huyang and Ahsoka try to escape Thrawn's men. And I like just I love the visuals of Thrawn watching from the big board. To me, mm-hmm. that's just really cool. He's got this like magnetic board of all these pieces on it and he's like gets to call in like he's radioing it looks like you're the football coach sitting up at the top you know the stadium (laughs) and you're and you're calling the plays down because you get to see what's happening on the board oh wait call the troops back that's not gonna work uh no let's go in over here so we we really see it visually of him standing seeing everything out in front of him as some of our main characters come closer and closer together now Sabine, Ezra, and the Noti come in contact with Balin and Shin. And Balin actually tells Shin, contact Thrawn and kill Sabine Sabine and Ezra. And then take your place in the coming Empire. She's confused, though. You're not going to help? He explains that your ambition drives you in one direction. My path lies in another. (laughs) Okay. So Shin sends the message to Thrawn. She's located Ezra Bridger, and she heads off to battle with uh, with Ezra and Sabine. We're just getting little cuts all over the place, right? They let um, yeah. they let the bad guys know that they have found Ezra's location. So Thrawn mm-hmm. again, he's directing traffic. He sends out two more gunships. He's pulling the strings here. Um, yeah. What did you think about this moment when Balin? Decided to kind of let Shin go on her way. Uh, it was a little out of left field for me. I didn't me understand the exact motivations for it, especially in the context of that specific moment. I thought maybe that that moment could happen, but why then and there? Uh, why not? Why not resolve? Uh, you know, this situation with Ahsoka and Sabine. You know, take these guys out together as a team, and then you know part ways. I think there was some unfinished business that just logically would have made sense to handle together before you know attempting to divide and conquer and you know go on their own paths uh i i get that they have different paths and different motivations and that that would would drive that split at some point it just made little sense that it happened uh, here and now i really liked seeing sabine and ezra with the note t during this chase scene um yeah it was yeah me too Thrawn soldiers and some of like the locals are chasing after Sabine and Ezra yeah. and the Noti, and we see the Noti um, just like using their surroundings, you yeah. know, everything around them. They're throwing rocks. They're able to. They're there are these creatures that have found a way to really defend themselves. They found a way to yeah. live. They're survivors. Um, they're peaceful people. They are. And they, they don't. They don't the have wagons. They, yeah, yeah, they yeah. circle their wagons and they try to find ways to help protect one another. And yeah. I just, I really love it. Like, they don't have blasters. Uh, Ezra, like, uh, does a whoop-a-whoop-a call, and they all circle up. Yeah. And uh, he tells them, you know, go inside. I'll handle this. I it, To me, it was just, a, like, a really cool scene of watching this happen, in yeah. the, like, the chase scene. Yeah, and I love that thing about Star Wars where it is a mashup of all these fun genres. And so this is leaning heavily into the Western side of it. We've seen that, obviously, you know, going back to A New Hope, but heavily in Mandalorian. Uh, They've also, in Ahsoka, love to mix in the samurai aesthetic and influences to it. So I I love seeing all these cool mashups of of genres and cultures uh seen in kind of a new light you know through the lens of star wars in this universe 
Um, and yeah, this, this sequence had a lot of juice to it. I mean, I, I, I started to really, uh, you know, lock in with the Ezra character and dig his vibe. I like me too. how he, you know, some people complained about this, but I liked how he was like, no, I don't want the lightsaber. I'm, I'm doing my, I haven't used the lightsaber in a while. I've just been rocking it with the force. And well, like, you, like, it makes total, it. to you me, that makes total me. sense. Like he must've been, been out there yeah. meditating every single day. Yeah, he's, and he's like, I got my force powers like pretty honed, and then we actually get to see some really cool stuff in this when he catches that lightsaber. That was and unbelievable. He's, like, you could see it manipulating the that was so the, cool. the beam the, of it. So cool, the energy of it just kind of like moments. flickering. Yeah, I, love that. I mean that one of my favorite moments, maybe in in if I really think about it, it like it's added to the the, the canon of like the most badass, cool kind of ingrained in my brain moments in Star Wars. That's a reason to watch this show. There's, there's been a few of those in this, in this series. So uh, I'm, I'm pretty grateful for that. Um, you, I think you said yeah. this when we were watching one of them and recapping one of the Marvel MCU shows in that like something along these lines where <laughs> if, if at the end of this movie or show, there are at right. least a couple things that I can really remember from it. Mm -hmm. It will, it at, it at least did something right. There yeah. are like some standout, moments or some standout things that you can hone in on where you're like if someone says to you uh ahsoka what are like one of the first two or three things that come to your mind this moment yeah. with the with the saber is like on yeah. that list it really is like seeing ezra use the force to to push back a lightsaber and to mm -hmm. it was visually really really cool and honestly when you, when you talk about it and we were just talking about like those moments as mm -hmm. a fan of this stuff, it gives you goosebumps when you see some of those. Yeah, like it does. You're yeah. like, oh, those are the moments that I, I watch this for. Like the moments that make me feel like, wow, that was really cool. And a lot of this was. It, it really was. Yeah. Um, Shin approaches, and uh, Ezra asks who she is. Sabine says she's like you, but lacks your sense of humor. <laughs> and uh, mm -hmm. that's where they uh, they all battle. And uh, one moment where. Ahsoka and Hu Yang are being chased. Hu Yang says, we can't land under attack. It's Jedi mission protocol. And it, it makes sense. Someone's following you. You land. It's like an easy target for them. Mm -hmm. So Ahsoka says, no, no, I'm going to jump out. So yeah. she, uh, she leaps out Captain of the moving. America. Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> exactly. She leaps out of the moving ship and she's uh, on the ground here. But of course, Right when she jumps off, she runs into Balin, and uh, mm -hmm. they have one more encounter here as Balin and Soka ignite their lightsabers. Ahsoka has both, and she just says, "I don't have time for this," <laughs> and I, which I love. It kind of made me smile. And Balin mm -hmm. said, "Yeah, I, I know," but they uh, they begin to battle. So it, it does this last half to third of the episode moves quickly it does yeah. going back and forth it's a lot of action uh, Ezra asks Sabine what's the plan um and you know they don't really have a plan they just sort of uh they go off on they sort of do what's best yeah. individually Ezra does not want the lightsaber as you mentioned he doesn't need the reliance on the technology there he's been on his own using the force Sabine's actually mm -hmm. been a little more recently trained with the yeah. with the the lightsaber, but man, Ezra is so badass with his movement, with his motions. Mm -hmm. He's just one step ahead of everyone. His force pushes. 
um, his forced yeah. throws. It, it just really, really cool to see. And Balin and Ahsoka continue to duel. Um, just back and forth, really cool cuts. Ezra hits this force throw, then he gets attacked by Shin. Um, she's she slice, he goes to slice off Ezra's head and he ducks and she like cuts off a couple hairs of his that are um like embering. I just love that yeah. visual that his hair was like burning like for a, a second, yeah. just like charred a bit. Um it made me smirk uh, visually when they do things right and you just see the like the little wispy burning hair right there. Yeah. Um I loved yeah. that. And is he holding act- it too? Does he is he like he holds a piece of yeah, it? Or something? Am I remembering it, that right? Like, exactly. Like yeah. it's, it was cut <laughs> it gives off. A look. And he looks yeah. at it like, oh, that was close. Like, oh shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was a nice again, a nice moment. And and you were hitting it like the more time we spend with Ezra, like every mm-hmm. moment he's on the screen, you kind mm-hmm. of fall a little piece in love with him. He does have <laughs> this like like really it's- good guy. Trait, it's you know, so dreamy blue eyes. Let's be real, it is, right? Like he's so dreamy. You get lost he's so dreamy. in those crystal blue eyes. You do, <laughs> and it's just every like moment he's there. It's like ah, you have that like ah ah, and um, but yeah, this scene... charm to him. There's 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 a uh, a sincere like a sweetness and a lightness to him, and that there's a charm there. Uh, something almost a little bit like mischievous, but very pure. Boyish, yeah, like a yeah, boyish, boyish charm. Yeah, you know? yeah, There's absolutely. like, yeah, like a Peter Panish thing almost to him, mm-hmm. you know, where like, yeah. and when I was doing, um, before I started the podcast, like right w- before Milo was born, I was getting a little bit back into acting and I was taking some classes and doing stuff here and there. And, and honestly, like, one of the hard, it's easy to pay a, play a bad guy. That's fun. That's why people like mm-hmm. doing it. It's super easy to be like really evil and to be this awful character. One of the harder things to play is to play a character like Ezra that's just, like, genuine. Mm-hmm. Genuine, like, honest, but, like, a little – like, there's not much to it. It's just, like, he embodies everything they were going for. And it's hard. It's like they tell you, be a regular guy, you know, and you can't – it's like, what do you mean be a regular guy? That's one of the most, more difficult things to do. Right. He really just yeah. comes off like like a likable person. And uh, yeah. shout out to Ezra here, who he he gets force thrown by Shin, mm-hmm. uh, and at one moment Shin's got the upper hand here, and Balin has the upper hand on Ahsoka, but Hu Yang saves the day. Uh, Balin says, "You can't defeat me," and Ahsoka says, "Perhaps I don't have to," because Hu Yang shoots Balin and distracts him so that Ahsoka can get away. Balin, not dead, just sort of looks confused. Like, he's he's not sure what his purpose is. It's almost like he feels like he was meant to to take out Ahsoka, and now that that's mm-hmm. not ha- now that that hasn't happened, I think he's like, why am I here? What is my purpose? Um, yeah. Maybe a full redemption story coming for Balin in our, uh, in our finale. So, Thrawn's night troopers arrive. It doesn't look good for Sabine and Ezra at this moment and as Shin and Sabine battle Ezra just takes out a lot of these troopers one after another after another and now we're at the moment where our our good guys are in some trouble 
Ezra and Sabine mm-hmm. look like they're done. Uh, the troopers and Shin have them cornered, and Ezra tries to. You know who he does? I just noticed right now. He's he's Aladdin. Mm-hmm. He's freaking Aladdin. Oh. You know what I mean? Like just the yeah, like even yeah. here. Wait, <laughs> wait, wait, wait. We could talk or. Do you just want to take us as prisoners? Like that was like it just reminded me of like an Aladdin. You don't want to kill Absolutely. us, right? Wait, wait. You know, um, I could see him <laughs> jumping rooftop to rooftop. You know, I could just I could see it. And uh, Ezra is able to buy just another moment or two to keep them alive for Ahsoka to conveniently hop in and save the day on this howler. Yeah. Uh, she just force tosses Shin, and she is ready to kick some ass. Um, yeah. I love the I way did. she like just pops into frame. <laughs> she like awesome. slides into frame. Like yeah, she does. It's pretty it's, cool. It is pretty cool. Like and that moment made me smile. And then right after, I did like have one of those Grinch like smiles when uh, when <laughs> when Hu Yang said, uh, "Well, they're all back together. I hope yeah. they can survive. <laughs> I hope I can survive long enough to see the outcome." It just was like a another one of those like okay, it's a little cute, but. It did make me smirk and make me smile. Yeah. And that was for Rebels fans, for sure. <laughs> it was. A lot of this stuff is for Rebels fans, uh, admittedly. But, yeah, that was definitely one. I, I really enjoyed Thrawn's reaction when he sees what's happened. You know, he's got this all on his big board. Mm-hmm. What a rare sight. Almost like the Jedi of old. The fact that just mm. a few here were able to beat a bigger army. And a right. few that were undermanned. And he's he, he's like, you know, it's like that Ron Berg. Uh, I'm, I'm not even mad. I'm impressed. I'm impressed. Right, right. You know, like that's sort of like, what he, <laughs> right, right, right. you ate the whole wheel of cheese? Like, that's what he's saying right now. Hey, let's call our troops back. Recall them. <laughs> call off the aerial pursuit. You know, it was unfortunate, but these were acceptable losses in the grand scheme of things. One mm-hmm. might even call this first match with Tano a success. Morgan's confused. Our enemies are reunited. He explains, let me show you what I see. Our enemy is distracted. The cargo transfer is now complete. And we may soon leave this forsaken uh, forsaken place. Ahsoka Tano has lost the one thing she could not afford to lose today. Time. Time is very much on our side. And I shall keep it that way. Our characters have to be cognizant of the fact that they could get trapped in this galaxy. They could get uh, they could get stuck here forever, like we've seen with Thrawn and Ezra. They've been stuck here for a decade if they don't have the coordinates yeah. and the opportunity to leave, which is what Morgan Elsbeth has with that sphere map and the the witches and the mothers. They were they were able to use that magic to get here. Um, Thrawn just wants to hurry this process up. Let's get out of here because mm-hmm. we can just we can just leave them here. Who cares if they're back together? We'll just strand them. We'll be on our way, and they're stuck. Exactly. Yeah. So, and in that way, it does kind of make sense. You know, I was critical of it earlier, but you know, admittedly, there is a little bit of logic there. I just, yeah, I you're think right. That there was probably a chance for Thrawn to take them out, and it maybe would have made more sense. But I can wrap my head around the idea that Thrawn made it a tactical decision that it was more important to do the cargo transfer, and that's where he needed to focus the majority of his resources, and he. And he allocated just the minimum amount of resources to keep Ahsoka busy. And he thought, you know, it would probably he would probably be 
uh, victorious there, and that would have been enough to take them out. But he actually slightly underestimated the team. I could, I could see that all kind of does fall into place where I'm willing to accept it, and it's not, you know, some cinema sin sort of thing. Like, uh, so it, it could be yeah. that being a little could too have been, critical. No, it could have been better. I completely agree with you on that. I think it be could fair. have been done better. But when we <clears throat> get back here, it, it does. It makes sense that okay, you know what? If I know that this is these aren't going to be loose ends a month or two <laughs> later. Right. That That's what bothers me sometimes in movies where it's like, why doesn't the good guy kill the right. bad guy when the bad guy is going to come back and get you? You know, but but like mm-hmm. in this sense, if Thrawn knows that they leave and Ezra and Sabine and Ahsoka can't do anything to him anymore. Well, maybe mm-hmm. it's maybe it's better to try to get out of here with the most resources like you just pointed out. Right. Not have to right. try to lose any more troops, not have to send anyone else in in a battle. Um, we've seen with Thrawn his. Uh, his uniform is frayed. He doesn't have resources here. He doesn't have extra troops. Whatever's out there with him, that's all that's there. Um, so um, he explains, and the night trooper retreats. There's this big alarm that's actually sent out all over the planet, and all of the night troopers fall back. And Ezra and Sabine and Ahsoka, they're a little confused. The one that's mm-hmm. the most confused is Shin. She feels yeah. like she's really been hung out to dry, which she has. Yeah. You know, yeah. Thrawn, Thrawn told us he doesn't care if she lives or dies. He doesn't care if Balin lives or dies. Mm-hmm. And Ahsoka tries to um tries to connect with Shin here. She says, Look, yeah. I can I can help you. Shin is an apprentice that has not finished her training yet. She still needs yeah. a master to complete that. And Ahsoka can sense it. And she genuinely tells her, surrender your weapon. I can help you. Yeah. But Shin runs off back to Thrawn. It, you know, it just – it does seem mm-hmm. much more like with their uh, moral code that Shin and mm-hmm. Balin would want to be teamed up with Ahsoka than they would with someone like Thrawn. Yes. And, uh, you know, in in hindsight, I, I, I think maybe this is more of a, a complaint that I have rather than, you know, Thrawn's logic in this episode. And this is an example kind of of what I, I brought up before, that trope of when you have two characters that are in conflict and then one of them <laughs> just takes off and the other one just stays and Let's doesn't do anything. And let it happen. happen. When, when they could pursue, they could interject a few more words to make their case. Uh, and they just don't. They just let it happen. And, and to your point, uh, the good guys let the bad guy get away. And so there are, there's two levels of like uh, it, just being illogic there. Uh, one, Ahsoka and them, they're out of out of um, self-preservation. They're, they're, they're not they're not pursuing her to, to stop her from future you know bad deeds. But also they're not just taking action to just communicate their that's, side and try to work things out. If the, if she yeah. doesn't want to kill her, that's fine. I'm not saying that she ha- she needs to go like murder her. But what you were pointing right. out, it was like, hey, <laughs> I'm in love. You know, it's like I'm in love with you. I love you. Well, tell me. You know, right. it's like, and then that's it. That's it. It's right. like she didn't give her. She, there was no real. Let me tell you what I can do for you. Let me tell you. Look, we may not always think the same way, but I know you are one with the force. I can help you. Uh, I know your master Balin has the right motivations. He just might have the wrong, like th- there's that conversation that we just needed yeah. more of that. Stay with us. We can help you. We will do what's good. I, yeah. Also from a, like a purely logistic thing. I don't right. know what it was about it. I hated the way Shin ran off. 
Yeah, it, it was awkward. It and when looked she got on awkward. The, the it, yeah, it like yeah, she like ran off and like jumped on the house. Like it looked like how that was part you of would yeah. present a dorky person running away from something. Yeah, it was like that would, yeah, I, I, it was it, it for Shin, who's looked really like athletic mm-hmm. and good in fighting, and she's a skilled fighter, yep. and she's forced pushing Ezra, and then she like. Yep. She like runs off with a tail between her legs almost. It was like really, I don't know. Yeah. It didn't connect with me. It felt like she even feels like the type of character who would have stayed there and fought to her death. Right. Right. Running off. I I think that that's a, that's a big issue with, you know, what, what was happening in that, in that uh, scene is that it's the way she left. Uh, And to, to the point we were making before of like, you know, Ahsoka and them should have appealed to her more. um, They would have. Given that, given that context, absolutely. But if Shin had happened to, you know, use the force to to close a gap between them, like move like one of the the uh, Noti's um, ships or something in their way, like toss it in front of them and use that as a distraction to leave. some kind of like big force move, some maneuver, some thing that shows that she is still adept and powerful, and that that's how she got away. That makes sense. But the way she just turned and ran it was like well that's a perfect opportunity for ahsoka and them to pursue and and you know and cage her in stop her uh but what you see from ahsoka is putting her hand up and saying let's let's not pursue her Uh, let's just let her go and that just doesn't make sense but all they had to do is uh one or the other have ahsoka and then try to appeal uh to her and then have her show some more resistance in one way or another physically or you know um intellectually or you you have her use some sort of overwhelming distraction to get away but what they did just didn't work no i i agree and sabine i i really the most the biggest problem i have with these scenes with like with sabine with and with ezra and with ahsoka it's definitely with the sabine character like that's the biggest mm-hmm. problem that I have by far because even right mm-hmm. here when ah- Ahsoka and Sabine see each other they <laughs> smile at each other that's it like that's it there's a smile there's a smile like that's it when Ahsoka yeah. goes up to Ezra at least there's an embrace there like she hugs that guy like she misses mm-hmm. the guy she grabs him by the like she look that grabs him kind of by the face and like looks him in the face like you would with mm-hmm. someone that you miss, that you love, almost like you want to give your brother or sister a kiss. You know, not like you would give a kiss to someone you're yeah. in love with, but like someone you absolutely love. Mm-hmm. And Sabine's just standing yeah, there. Family. Yeah. Sabine's just standing yeah. there while this is happening. Like I so I I completely agree. Uh, and I also would add, and I think I said this before, but Ahsoka I think was even a little too uh, understated and, and it's probably, for what it was. It's probably mm-hmm. because Sabine is so the understated that it right. Ahsoka comes off fought like in, yeah, in, she, in the kind comparison, of she comes right. off like she's the most emotional person in the world but yeah. yes like yeah. it's th- this is the one part where it's like okay I get it you're you're a Jedi who's mm-hmm. like supposed to be more stoic and stuff but here's the problem yeah. we've mm-hmm. all been told and we've all seen that Ezra is not that type of person like he's like right. a boyish happy right. person we've also been led to believe that sabine is in love with this guy mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. from the first episode where she's watching his hologram and yeah. at the end of rebels they tease that there may be some sort of romantic like interest with the two of them 
There they was, seem to have clipped the balls off that storyline. Real I, quick. I, they don't, and, I don't think they're going that route. No, it really feels like they're making it very platonic, the, which to me is kind of lame. Like, have some romance fun, in there. What's what's the problem? It's funny the wording that you just used because when I was listening to The Ringer earlier this week, the Midnight Boys uh-huh. who did an did instant reaction to this, <laughs> the, mo- the, the moment when Sabine wakes up, she kind of mm-hmm. comes up from below Ezra and you were talking about mm-hmm. clipping <laughs> off the balls right there. Cause they were talking, they uh, were like getting really poor. They're like, where did Sabine come from? You know, she was below, right. she was coming up and they were all laughing. They're like, no, <laughs> don't get us there. No, don't do it. But they, they did really that for episode. That was good. We both liked it. We talked about mm-hmm. a lot of positives throughout just like, yeah. They come together and it just doesn't feel the way it should. It just yeah. doesn't. Um, if and I, if I sit, sit's advocate for, for just one moment please. here, sit's advocate, um, perhaps we can explain away Sabine's reaction to Ahsoka at the end being a little understated because they already had that moment through the force. Sure. Sabine sure. already realized that okay. and connected with Ahsoka and realized that she was alive. And that was a big moment. It was kind of uninterrupted. You know, they were being chased right in that moment. Yeah. But uh, they did I like that interpretation through the, through the force. So I, I, I'll give them that. Yeah, um, but still, still, you know, it wasn't really real till they're in the in the same you know vicinity with each other and embracing. So um, there need there should have been a little bit more. Uh, Ezra says, "I, I thought you thought she was dead." And Sabine said, "I was wrong." Sure. Um, Ezra introduces the no tea, and everyone stands together mm-hmm. for a moment. Ezra tells us he's got a feeling. I think I might be going home after all. And then that he starts to sing, uh, I can show you the world shining, <laughs> shimmering. Like he just felt like yeah. that was the, the and, moment coming here. But uh everybody forgot to knock wood again, too. So yeah, I, know. Uh, <laughs> I think I think right. we might be in store for uh maybe not a happy ending. I think it was Nerdist out there who their their video, they're predicting a possible Empire Strikes Back finale yes. for the series like we're this, maybe ending on a, a low note for our characters the, so because our penultimate episode ended way too clean mm. this right. episode right. had way it was way too clean where it's just our group of bad guys smiling happy together getting ready to leave like yeah. it just it's not going to work quite that way mm. and, uh, and we know there's more stories to tell we, we like we it has to connect to the sequel trilogy, we're going to have the Dave Filoni movie that's on the book. So there needs to be more conflict moving forward. So the, the idea that they're going to end this series in a, in a, you know, wrapped up tidy little bow. Uh, I don't, not I, like, I don't want them to No, they shouldn't. No, no, and they shouldn't. They if this is, if this is continuing to be uh, a, a part, just like with mm-hmm. empire strikes back, like we're saying you, it, it's fine. Yeah to end something with a cliffhanger when we know that there's more good content coming forward and there is more good content coming forward mm-hmm. in the world of star Wars. We have one more episode here of Ahsoka to discuss. And then TK, we're going to jump into Loki in not that long, yeah. which is going to be <laughs> awesome. So I look forward yeah. to going back in the next few days and rewatching season one of Loki to get myself a, yeah. uh, Already for season two of Loki, so and that's the first one, right? I mean, I want to say that's the first Marvel series that we'll be reviewing that we're doing season two. Yeah, uh, coming back around from yes, more. So I'm really excited about that. Me too, and that and honestly, I feel like of everything that we discussed, that was mm-hmm. probably one of our 
our personal favorites, like positives yeah. where we liked mm-hmm. a lot of it, like the acting, yeah. uh, liked a lot of what happened. So very interested in that one, TK. And uh, always appreciate your time, buddy. Just one more week of Ahsoka to put uh, another yeah. uh, bow on. Uh, man, so much ground that we've covered here through the years. Yeah. Uh, all of you out there, make sure to give Tim a follow on Twitter and on Instagram. Tim is not funny. Check out his uh, amazing music projects with him and his wife. And TK, I look forward to uh, finishing up Ahsoka with you next week. And then we'll move from the Same. world of Star Wars right back into the MCU. Yeah, I look forward to it. Can't wait. Thanks so much, Gina. Folks, I hope all of you are having an awesome time with us. Remember, we'll be back again to finish with Ahsoka next week. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. But don't go anywhere. Still more to come on this episode of That's What She Said. Big thank you to TK for helping us out. Just one more to come, and then we'll shift on over. We'll start talking about Loki. We'll go from Star Wars to the MCU. I reran. I'm going to rerun a... uh, a segment that we ran earlier this week where we talked NFL with Eric. Since I put this out before Football Sunday, I figured at the end of it, we'll just tack on the games that we haven't missed for anyone that has not heard. So uh, our Sunday NFL game previews with Eric coming up now. And the Falcons, they're playing in London. And you know what? This might be a game that Milo is watching, Eric, because they're also going to have a Toy Story broadcast of this game on ESPN and on Disney uh, on ESPN Plus and on Disney Plus, where they have like they some of the players are gonna their players are gonna be animated. There's gonna be stuff like they're gonna be transformed into cartoons and stuff to try to for the kids. Um, Trevor Lawrence reportedly wants to be Slinky Dog, so uh, Toy Story fans will be enjoying the Jags and Falcons London game. I mean that's cute. I that's mean, cool, cool kids. for the kids, man, and it's yeah. cool because it's you do it on a separate channel on a separate network. Right. Like, and it's not something that's instead of the broadcast, it's not going to be taking the place of that. So if you don't want to watch it, you don't have to, but I'll flip, I'll wake up Milo a little early. Cause for me, this game starts at six 30. I'll put him in his chair and have a little breakfast for him. And he can, he loves toy story. So I think he'll probably get a kick out of watching that. And maybe he'll, uh, he can spend a few minutes watching some football with dad, but we have two teams coming off of a real disappointing week three. The Falcons and the Jags. So remember, this game starts early, and this game is in London. So Jacksonville doesn't have a home field advantage other than the fact that they've been to London more often than anyone. Man, they, they've been disappointing, and I got to give you a ton of credit. You sniffed this out. We were both not that high on Jacksonville overall this year. You really felt like they were going to con- kind of come back to life. Their special teams last week were awful. They allowed yeah. a kick return touchdown to a fullback. They had a blocked field goal that became a touchdown a few plays later and they missed the field goal. And now Lawrence is one in four against the Texans. He was favored. They were favored in all four losses. The only quarterback since 1970 to lose four games to a team. They were favored over. Now I will say he has actually been playing pretty well. It's not really his fault. He leads the league and drops by wide receivers when they are open um, they were without four. They they lost to the Texans who were without four offensive linemen and eight starters with a rookie quarterback making his third career start. Their first five drives of the game, miss field goal, punt, block field goal, punt, fumble. Ridley has really struggled. He had that great first half of game one. Since then, he's not been good. Last week, he had two drops in the end zone and two full start penalties. Just way off. 
They were 5 of 13 on third down, 0 of 1 on fourth down. Only the Jets are worse on third down than them. And it looks like Peterson now took over play calling. I just haven't been uh, impressed or I haven't been pleased with much of what I've seen from Jacksonville so far, Eric. And for Atlanta, it was a bad game for them last week. Detroit's defense shut them down. I, I need to see a little more creativity from Arthur Smith. He's really not letting Ritter do too much in a lot of these games. And Ritter didn't look good. He took a lot of those seven sacks. It, it was a bad game for Ritter. I felt like he took a step forward in the win in the second half of the Packers game. Wasn't a good one for him last week. And the Falcons offensive line wasn't really good either. They, you know, they only averaged 2.2 yards per carry. If they can't take any shots down the field, it makes it really easy for other teams to stack the box and defend them. Uh, Falcons also missed a field goal. I, I would still lean Atlanta in this game slightly. I probably don't love, I don't, I would not lay the, the points with Jacksonville. I just still think Jacksonville may be a little bit over, over uh, valued in the market right now. And I, I think it's probably the opposite for Atlanta. I feel like a lot of people probably think, oh, okay, Atlanta lost last week. So their first two games, they weren't, you know, they're not really anything. Um, I'm higher on Atlanta than Jacksonville. I feel like at a field goal or over, I'm on the Atlanta side here. I mean, the interesting trend for me that really stood out is teams that are playing these, what are they called, international series games, are yeah. 60% against the number as the favorite. That's what kind of stood out yeah. to me. Favorites tend to cover here. Um, I really don't like betting these London games unless I have a real strong feeling. Both these teams. They're just like, weird. They're weird games. Routines teams are different. Everything's off. different. There's no real Both home. They're coming off a pretty poor performance. Um, so there's no real opportunity to get team in a down. They're both kind of in a down right now. And um, I don't I think do there's the number. The, yeah. I would lean Atlanta just because I like Atlanta more, but it's not. If this was three and a half, I'd be all in on Atlanta. I just don't I think just there's don't a lot think, of value on the, nam- on the number either. I think Atlanta has the advantage in the trenches. Ridley dropped two TD passes last game. Obviously, a revenge game for him. Looked at firing him. Came up in your DFS stuff. He's due for a bounce back. Uh, can the Falcons, uh, excuse me, can the Jags stop, stop the run? How's the Jags defense going to look? Uh, are they going to be able to stop the pass? I mean, if Ritter does pass, I don't know. There's This game for me is nothing. I don't want anything to do with this game. I'll eat my Sunday morning pancakes and watch. And uh, keep in mind, folks, uh, we are looking at the lines on DRF Sportsbook. If you're in the state of Iowa, sign up for a DRF Sportsbook account. Use the promo code FAST350. It'll get you all the way up to a $350 deposit match bonus. You can be playing along soon. We got a divisional game in the AFC North. The Ravens at the Cleveland Browns. This one has dipped now down to Cleveland minus two and a half. Browns, their defense has been incredible. They last week against the Titans allowed 94 total yards and six first downs in week two, Pittsburgh got nine first downs and scored 12 total points in week one, Cleveland had six first downs and scored three total points. The defense has given up 18 points. The offense has given up 14 because they had a couple pick sixes in there. Um, In the red zone, they've only allowed one field goal. They're allowing a league low 3.2 yards per play, which is the best in almost 100 years. They have a 60% three and out rate. Incredible job by Jim Schwartz. You called this during the offseason. You really like this move for their defense. They're first in EPA per drop back allowed and second 
in EPA per rush allowed. The problem is, and it hasn't been a problem really yet for them because the defense is so dominant. And when you have a defense that is that dominant, it may not matter all the time. But the offense is just 22nd in EPA per play. So the offense isn't anything fantastic. And while Watson looked better last week, it was the best game we've seen from him in a Browns uniform since everything went down and since he came over from the Texans. But he was playing against a really bad Titans secondary who has let everybody look good against them. And he was graded quarterback number 11 on the week. So even in a great week for him, he was still like a top third quarterback. He's number 18 on the year so far. Um, it was his best passer rating since 2020. I mean, the thing that, that sticks out when you're watching the film is just Garrett. Again, I'll give you credit. You pointed this out. How unstoppable he is on defense when you have other guys around that can also make plays. Because if you pay attention to Garrett, all these other guys are going to hurt you. They had two tight ends spying him. Yeah, um, I talked about this on my stream last night. Um, Schwartz is doing stuff we haven't seen before. He's having the interiors uh, down in the stance. Garrett and Smith standing up. He's putting Garrett in motion. He'll have him line up on one side, go to the right side, then go back to the left side. What we're seeing from Schwartz is just kind of a master class. And when you kind of look back at what he's done, well, granted, his tenure with the Lions wasn't the best. But from where they were to where they were when they left, they got better. Went to the Bills after he was fired. Immediately took that defense, which was bottom tier, to the, one of the better ones in the league. Was off a year, worked for the league. And then he was four years in Philly. Transformed that defense to one of the better defenses. Let him do a Super Bowl. And then had some health issues. And now this is his first year back. And we kind of like all forgot. This is way better than I thought it was going to be. We all kind of forgot how smart this guy is yep. defensively. Because um, he has the, now like the scheme and the personnel, right? You have the personnel that you can play and the around. Secondary is playing a lot better than I thought they were. They are. They are. The secondary is playing a lot better. In terms of this game, um, on a different sports book, uh, a three popped, and I was able to get a three here. Lamar Jackson as a dog in his career 12 times, an insane 11 and one. He's eight and one as a road dog in his career. So he, this is a spot he covers. And we've talked about this with Skafanski before against the AFC North. He is six and 14. And like all of those wins come against the Bengals. Pretty much. Yeah. As yeah, a favorite, he beat the North, other teams. Yep. As a favorite two and eight favorite in general, 11 and 19, 37.6 um, Browns. It looks like, all these guys that were hurt, excuse me, for the Ravens are starting to come back to practice. So they're going to be a little bit more healthier going. And that was last year. They had eight guys out at one point. Four it was last last like, week, they were depleted as hell. And it really showed up against that Colts team. Especially because um, they went into overtime, right? So you're yeah. later in the game. You got less bodies out there. People are hurt. People are banged up. They, they were sloppy. I mean, they they started really good. It, it sort of felt like a trappy kind of game that they just thought they were going to win. They complete their first 10 passes of the game. And then there was this stretch where they fumbled on four out of nine plays right before yeah. halftime. It was bizarre. And yeah. then Tucker has a 61-yard attempt at the end of regulation to win it. It falls a couple yards short. It's not often when 
he's not the best kicker in a game, but he ended up like losing out in this game where Matt Gay was awesome. I think he had four plus 50 yard field goals, uh, 50 plus yard field goals. My buddy, he's a huge Ravens fan. And every time before he, uh, what's his face kicks, he always just texts me good. Oh no. Did he do it? He mushed them. He did. It was kind of funny. It was legitimately kind of funny. He texted me good. Um, because that thing was dead center too, right? Like yeah. it looked good. And then it just, you see it getting shorter. Yeah. It's like, oh, no way. Uh, um, in terms of this game, you know, just kind of looking at and then it. They, and not, not to interrupt real quick. Yeah. Then there was that, that face mask penalty, which I know a lot of penalties and a lot of stuff gets called throughout the game that gets missed here and there. But it was a bad face mask penalty in overtime that would have, kept the drive going and put the Ravens in way closer field goal range. And they probably win the game and they just missed that on Zay flowers for sure. So um, yeah, I, I like the Ravens side in this too, but you, I, I think I'm with you. Like I would, if he didn't get three, I would wait for it to, to possibly go back to three if, if possible. Yeah. Um, you know, the Ravens are only giving up 200 yards passing per game per DVOA. Their pass defense is sixth. Um, and then the rushing defense, you know, they've given up, they're the eight they've given up the eighth least yards in rushing yards per game dvoa has them as the ninth best rush defense fifth best defense overall i think this ravens team is going to be able to limit watson brown still have some injuries in the front i'm going to just bet the bounce back spot here and we need to remember that this is the best quarterback that this browns defense has played has it looked great yes week one burrow was hurt Played Tannehill, who, you know, has been looked, terrible in two of the three weeks. He's had awful, one okay week. And then played small hands Pickett, who I'm not a huge fan of. So no, no, Pickett's been terrible too. Pickett's I been think, awful too. You're you're absolutely right. This is better by far a team that's familiar overall with some of the personnel. Nice so to me, the number's the key here is if you can get it over at three. Uh, where do we head next, Eric? The Bengals Titans. at the Titans. This one has been uh, a, a playoff game that we've seen, and these two teams have played each other a couple times over the last few years. Titans are a two-and-a-half-point dog at home, so the Bengals are two-and-a-half-point favorite on the road. They got their first win of the year on Monday Night Football. I mean, they didn't look good, though, especially on offense. They were one of seven on third down in the first half. They only scored six points. They end the night five of 17 on third down and one of one on fourth down give you an example, just anyone that may not have seen the game, they got an interception on the 41 yard line and they went backwards eight yards and had to punt. Couldn't yep. get anything out of it. Um, and they can't go deep down the field right now because of the burrow injury. He just can't plant. It was the first time in his career that he has won a game with a less than 80 passer rating. It's the second wow. time this year he's had a passer rating under 60. He never had one passer rating under 60 in his career before this year. And it's already happened in two of the three games so far right now. he And I, again, I like Burrow. I'm not saying like, he's obviously hurt. So it's, 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 I'm not saying he's bad and he's going to be bad forever. But if this is the version we're getting right now, this version is 32nd in the league in yards per attempt and 31st in completion percentage. So what does that tell me? That's the opposite of what I was just saying about Jordan Love, right? Jordan Love has a bad completion percentage, but it's because he takes big shots. This is a bad completion percentage and like bad yards per attempt. So 
it nothing's really making sense here. Um, the defense played well, though. They were all over Stafford on passing downs, six sacks. Only one player had more than one. So they spread it all around. Great game for Chase. He got back involved. Uh, yeah, just 4.2 yards per play. They only had 2.9 yards per rush. That wasn't great. So another instance where you have two teams that while the Bengals won, I don't, I don't think I was really impressed with them, especially on the offensive side in the, the health of Burrow. Higgins had another awful game where he just couldn't connect at all with Burrow. Then on the Titans side, that was probably one of the most disappointing games I had in Vrabel in a while. Right before the end of the half, they're down 13-3, and you kick a field goal, and it's 13-6, and you're down by seven. And mm-hmm. they, it was a bad play call. He called a pass play, like, and, and it was stupid for Tannehill. He took a sack, and then all of a sudden, you just can't kick a field goal. So you eat those three points, and you just right then, you just felt bad momentum if you were someone on the Titans side there. And their secondary struggled. They had 94 total yards. Eric, I mean, it doesn't matter. You're not winning any games with 94 total yards. Six first downs in the game. Uh, Spears actually has outsnapped Henry in two of three games. And Tannehill is graded number 31 in the league in offensive EPA per dropback, 28th in completion percentage. He's been sacked 13 times. They got a turnover on a fumble recovery on the 17-yard line. They go backwards nine yards in three plays and end up having to kick a 44-yard field goal. Uh, they had eight penalties, four that were automatic first downs. I'm I'm leaning Tennessee as this play in here, Eric, but I don't I would want three probably. Um I'm not sure if I'm gonna play either way. And I don't think it's gonna get there. Yeah. It's not gonna get to three. This actually today this got down to one, one, one and a half. Um there's been a little buyback to two and a half. I don't see it getting to three. I actually locked in at two and a half. Vrabel is a dog, you know, 25, 16, and 1, 61%. Home dog, 62.5%. But we talk about buying low, selling high all the time on here. Teams that scored three points or less that are a home dog are 62% against the number. So it kind of means there's a little bit inflation here. Um, Burrow, and the thing we need to remember here is Burrow's not 100%. From what I've been told, and I know someone who, who knows what he's talking about because he's He's there. This calf injury is a lot serious than people realize. He's having a yeah, hard he time. Yeah, he didn't look good. And it's a short week. week. The guy I talked to is actually shocked he even played. Now you're playing against the Titans who have a phenomenal defensive line. Titans are going to be able to get to him. And already Burrow is somebody that holds on to the ball a little longer than he should because he likes to throw it up. He likes to go deep. His average depth of target tends to be toward the top of the NFL when the season ends. I think this defensive line is going to be able to get to um, to get to Burrow. And then another thing, everyone's talking about Burrow. This defense for the Bengals hasn't been that good this year, especially against the run. Last year, they were they gave up what was it, the fifth least running yards, rushing yards per game. This year, they are giving up a hundred. And 51 yards rushing per game, which isn't that good. It is, what is it? The third worst. I think that the Titans, I think they're going to be able to run on them. I think they're going to be able to run on them. Then, thus, they're going to shorten the game. DVOA has them as the 28th, the Bengals, the 28th best rushing defense. 22nd defense overall. This Bengals defense is down. Titans defense is actually playing pretty good overall. 
even EPA oh, has just, just like you said on those uh on those rushing metrics also EPA rushing success rate Cincinnati is giving up a 44% success rate on rushes think about that almost one out of every two rushes for another team is being graded successfully so that means if it's first and 10 they're getting like 5 yards on that to make it a positive down. So then it'll be second and four. If it's second and four, they're getting three yards to make it third and one. Whatever the down is, they're getting positive almost 45% of the time. That's not good. That's 25th in the league. They're 26th in overall rushing EPA. Um, So again, you're right. Those are places that Tennessee wants to hit. That's the focus on Tennessee running the ball. I'm not on the Bengals side here. Um, this might be one of our five if we can't come together because I definitely am fine being on Tennessee. Um, I just would, I don't think we're going to get the number I want and I might have a couple other spots, but if me and Eric need to get five, this could be one of them, but Eric, I'm ready for the Super Bowl next. We got the Broncos at the bears. So how about this? The Broncos before, before you go into this, I need, I just need to go through my little, my little stats I have for this. Give them, give it to us. Jared Goff has as many rushing touchdowns as Justin, Justin Fields. Fields. There, I had that. That was one that I had on here. Keep going. Though. Anything else? Do you have the Mac Jones one? No. I, okay. Go ahead. Mac Jones has one run more RPO plays this year than Justin Fields has. Unbelievable. And Unbelievable. The thing, the thing that just blows my mind is why Jim Caldwell, Came in to Chicago with a multi-year plan. Five-year plan. He was going to do to develop Justin Fields from A to B. Now you're in a situation, you hired a coach 20 games into his tenure. Fields has not got any better. And it's to the point now we may he may need a change of scenery. You may have to trade him. And he's three and seventeen. Three and seventeen. Three and 17. It's just awful. DC's house is getting raided by the FBI. It's just, it's just a bad look. Um, I mean, last week, like you said, they're getting raided. They had equipment stolen. Yeah. And the crazy thing is, this is a crazy thing. If your pace, you have to start thinking right now, okay, we're going to have probably the first, first and fourth draft pick. We're going to have some high draft picks at least two in the top 10 fields. You need a rookie, a, a quarterback on a rookie contract. You could probably get some draft picks for fields. You move on from fields and take mayor Williams. That's literally where, what the Bears season has come from. The team that everyone bet down from a hundred to one to win the super bowl to less than 50 to one could be moving off of, off of Justin Fields. Um, I, I, that's yeah. That's, there, that's there's some, yeah, there's some stuff here, man. Uh, they've lost 13 straight, the Bears. They've been outscored by 190 points during that stretch. 80 points worse than any team during that stretch. Only eight coaches in NFL history have ever lost 13 straight games. Eberflus, there we go. You were mentioning some of the numbers, 3-17. and 17. They've won three playoff games over the last 25 years. This one play was just such a, a play to me that summed up the team this year. So, Or this one like series of plays. They take a bad sack, then they have to punt. And their special teams, it looks like the punt is going to be a great punt. It looks like they're going to pin them at the one. And the special teamer is down there, 
and the ball bounces right through his hands and it goes into the end zone. That's a 20 yard swing. That's like, that's worse than a pass interference penalty, you know, like a 15 yard penalty that you, yeah. you don't even think about. That's a huge, that's 20 yards of field position just because the guy took his eye off the ball for a second and bounces through his hands. Uh, it, you know, like, they're just not well coached. I no. mean, you can, you can say what you want. And At the end of the day, they're just they're not. They're not. Well. They're not. Neither, oh, okay. What about Denver? The, Denver just gave up well, 70 points, and they're a three-and-a-half-point favorite on the road. It's just yeah, funny. The, just, thing, the thing I said during the West, I said when we did your AFC West preview, my worrisome was the wide nine technique that uh, Joseph. Joseph. And he's been and terrible. Insists on running, and – McDaniel just zone ran that to shit. And that's what you do against it. You that like literally against the zone rush, it was just boom. It was, it was just, they just eat up, eat them up. Um, like Denver's I, offense. If you just isolated their offense and you were only looking at their offensive metrics, everything is like in the middle 15 ish, 16 ish. They're like right down the middle at most of the offensive metrics. Like, Offense like EPA per play and success rate and those types of things. Their offense hasn't been bad, and people want to pile on Russ because it was fun to do so last year. He has not been the problem with this team. See, Their defense think, is historically bad, like horrendously I, bad. I think he's better, but I think he, he's taken a little too long. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's not back or anything like that. He's he's never gonna get back to where he what his peak was, but He's not the whole reason why they're struggling. I think they're oh, no, 14th in, in offense. Like I said, all of their metrics, whether you're looking DVOA, EPA, they're all somewhere in the like but 14 the to 20 team, range. One of the big team, one of the big things, um, they're just not including the the pass to the running back. He's trying to throw it downhill. Yeah, all downhill, nothing short. And that's that's always been one of the real issues with Russ, right? Yeah not wanting to take the little stuff that's right in front of them. Um, Fields had 11, 11 yard, 11 completions for 99 yards passing. And then again, like one time he's injured. He looks woozy. He has to be helped to the sidelines. They're down by 38 points. Why do you put him back in the game? Like, what are you doing at that point for this guy? And you bring him back in makes no sense. Nine possessions for them to score their first point of the game, which was a 20 yard field goal with, 13 minutes left to go in the game. Their defense, hey, they got their first takeaway of the year in the third quarter when they were down by six scores against the backup quarterback. That's their first takeaway they've had so far this year. They've allowed 106 points in 33 games, second most allowed in team's history. The big free agent acquisition, Edmonds targeted 11 times in coverage, allowed 10 receptions, 88 yards and a touchdown. This will be the first time in history Two teams meet each other after combining to allow 110 plus points and over 1,100 yards the week before. That's what we're talking about with these two teams. Want, but at the end of the day, look, I have a rule when two shitty teams play, you always take the team getting points. Absolutely. I'm taking the Bears plus the three and a half, especially once they're at home, they're getting the points, and it's over the field. I I need to wait. The, I mean, I want to, but I'm waiting to see if there's any bullshit that comes out in the media. In the next bitching, fields bitching about the. But coach. if we're talking Sunday Another morning and this is that game. that line, you would lock in three, plus three and a half Sunday morning. I if, would make plus three if 
every three and a half if everything's kosher. Sure. If like shit starts coming out, then there's no way in hell. Broncos 0-3 with Peyton. But again, Russell Wilson had 193 yards passing at halftime. How about this? They have three losses by 50 points or more in their franchise history. Eric, the last team to have three losses or more by 50 points in their franchise history was a team that you lost a couple times on. Uh, the old Rochester Jeffersons back in 1925. Those, yeah. uh, those Rochester Jeffersons. Let's keep rolling along. Where do we go next? Rammies at the Colts. So the Rams, this, this one's bas- a, basically a pick them now, right? This one's back to yeah, like right around. Another, like some of these games. We don't know with Richardson. Well, we don't know with Richardson. Your boys are insanely banged up. On yep, the, offensive the offensive line now. And the first two weeks they were good. But then last week they allow six sacks in that game. And if they're going to be, if that offensive line is going to look like that, then yeah, they, just, they're only, they, it's, they, you can't play them. It's, it's tough because their offensive and, line like, the did look better. The Colts is their back four. But if you don't have anything to block, like the Forrest Buckner and the, the people up front, Stafford can't take advantage of it. Um, so he, something else to kind of monitor. And this is the thing that kind of stood out to me. Don't get me wrong. I absolutely love their center, Ryan Kelly. I love that guy. And I can't imagine what he went through. And the fact he's out there playing is great. He used to be one of the better centers in the league, but he's just not what he used to be. No. And they're actually better when he doesn't play. He was yeah. banged up last week. If he goes, maybe Donald could take advantage of it. Uh, I would kind of lead the Rammies here if I knew that the offensive, offensive line is okay. Because the weakness of the Colts is their back four. But, um, you know, I'm just probably this is another game. You know, I'm going to I'm gonna sit out and just kind of like lean back. And Minshew probably gives the Colts a better chance to win most games. Well, we don't know. If, like, and Rick, we don't know. He, he's yet to make it through a full game. Yeah, and, and that's the problem too. And like – Ceiling-wise, Richardson, his running gives him this incredible ceiling. He can't make throws or even like some consistent throws like Minshew can. So totally and different sort of offenses with the two of those guys. I will say this. Both these coaches from that used to be on the Eagles doing way better than I thought they were. And yeah. if I'm the Colt, if this this guy, Shane Shelkins, Steichen. Steichen, whatever his name is, if he had fields, oof. He oh my doing, gosh, he'd be doing. Any, he would be doing some work, but unfortunately, he doesn't. Um, you know, we got to monitor the Jonathan Taylor thing. Taylor, I saw an X when I before we started talking, or Twitter, whatever the hell it's called. Mm-hmm. That you know, he's very adamant. He doesn't want to go play for the Colts. What are they going to do? Are they going to look to move him? Uh, it's really going to be interesting to see. Uh, in terms of the game, though, tough until we know what's going on with this offensive line for your rant for your boys. Uh, so this is just a pass for me. The Colts have to give some love to kicker Matt Gay last week. Four field goals of 50-plus yards. Only kicker ever to hit four 50-plus yarders in a single game. He made all five field goals that he had. He was responsible for 16 of the 22 points. They gave him a big contract that a lot of people laughed at. And it's still you don't, something you don't need to do. But in a game where he was playing against the best kicker of all time, he was the guy that stood out. And that's pretty cool. Like, that's cool when you can go against MJ and and you have your night, you know, for whatever it, it was. And he got to outkick the best kicker, which was pretty cool. And um, the Colts, 
How about them? They're two and one. I, I like you. You're talking about their coach. They, he got a little cute, but I don't know if you saw the play where they lined the kicker up out wide. Did you see that? And so they made Baltimore. Baltimore was like, what the hell are they doing? And so Baltimore calls a timeout. So he made them call a timeout just because he lined the kicker up out wide. Um, and then he put the field goal team on, but he tried to rush the team off. But then, of course, like if you do that, the defense can substitute. So then it ended up in a delay of game. So like the first thing he did was awesome because he made Baltimore waste a timeout just because he lined the kicker up. But then he like tried to get to, he, he got his little big for his britches. He was like, okay, cool. That worked. Now I'm going to try to do something. And that backfired. And they ended up getting a, a delay of game on the next one. But I like the, this coach. I really do. And um, the scheme was good. He, he had a lot of stuff that was uh, well-designed for Minshew. We will wait a little more on this one, though, and we'll have more information for you on this one later in the week if you join me and Eric on Friday for the winning ticket or on Sunday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern time. Eric, next game is uh, the game of the week. Dolphins at the Bills. Bills are a three-point favorite. I will say I locked this one in immediately at two and a half um, on the Bills side. And I, I – because. Right away when Miami was scoring 70, it just was a situation where I, I was going to play against them based on that. Like anytime a team has a game where they are that successful and and things go that well for them, I'm just always going to fade them, Eric. And that's what's happening right now. Like everything, like every statistic out there that we're hearing about the Dolphins is incredible. I, I'm. It's going to sound like I'm coming off as a hater or something. I'm not. They... They, it's only the fourth time in history a team has scored 70 points. They actually scored the most offensive points ever because the only other times when teams scored 70, they had defensive touchdowns or other scores in those like special team scores. So this was all offense. It was well balanced. Tua was 16 for 16 to start. And you know what I really like as a gambler and as someone that's a coach is that they had a chance to go for the all time record for 73. And their coach said, nah, we didn't need to do it. Why? You don't need to rub it in. You don't need those extra points. There's going to be a time, maybe this week, against the Bills or in the playoffs when you need a field goal and you may get it then. It just is like a karma thing with the sports gods. If, if there was a game where it was close and it was like 70 to 50 and they were going back and forth and they wanted to keep scoring, I'd get it. But I love, to me, as a coach, I, I felt great. When I heard that McDaniel just said, nah, we don't need it. Why? You know, it's not, it's not worth doing. What if somebody goes out there and twists an ankle on the setting, getting set up for the field goal, something stupid could happen. Right. And it just, I love the fact that they didn't, but man, they are way too overvalued and way too overhyped right now. This is a three and O team that could be one and two. Like their offense is amazing, but as good as their offense is, their defense is not. Their defense right now is still 21 in DVOA metrics. And this Bills team, I think, is a little more well-balanced. I like what I saw from them. They've kind of quietly been good the last two weeks after they lost in week one. Next two games, they won by 28 points or more. That was the first time since 2002 a team lost week one and then won their next two games by 28 points or more. They have the best coverage grade in the NFL based on pro football focus through three games. A lot of those nine sacks last week against Washington, that was because of the man coverage, which was really, really good. They can put pressure on the quarterback without blitzing much. Um, 
you know, seven, uh, they had the sacks and interceptions only allowing three points last week. They got to be a little better in the red zone. They had to settle for a couple field goals early. Um, but I like the fact that Josh Allen, no sacks, no turnovers against a good Washington defensive front last week. That Washington defensive line is better than the Dolphins defensive line. And he was very good and clean against that defensive front. They're just more balanced overall. Seventh in EPA per dropback passing offense. Fourth in EPA per rush. Passing defense, second in EPA. Their rushing defense is also top uh, top half of the league. It's 15th. So not really a whole lot of weaknesses there. And I think because the Miami offense has been so, so good, Eric, we're forgetting that they still have some holes on the defense. Fancio doesn't quite have all the personnel there yet. Um, I like Buffalo in this spot. I locked him in at two and a half. I wouldn't lay more than three, but I do I do like them in this spot. Yeah, I played the minus two and a half. Uh, teams that start 3-0, 3-0 ATS are 42.3% ATS week four. Teams 3-0, 3-0 ATS that are road dogs, 12.5% ATS. Teams that won by 38 points or more, Following week, 41% ATS. Teams after scoring 40, 40 points, 46.8%. The betting trends just say to take the Bills here. Um, you know, if we just kind of look into it, the Chargers game, like you mentioned, just came down whoever had the ball last. Pats, six drives, resulted in, in the Finns territory, only got three points. There is some sort of universe where the Finns are one and two right now, and people are questioning if two is the right guy. Yeah. Well, they're three and oh coming off a historic performance. You know, it's time to kind of pump the brakes. Uh, This is going to be the best defense and best offense they've played. Uh, Coho has graded out great in the back four, but Apple and Howard are graded very low. I think this is going to be a big Gabe Davis day. I think he's going to be able to take advantage of that. I absolutely love the Bills here. I'll take the two. I I bet the two and a half. Yep, we're both going to be on the Bills. That's one of our plays this week. Vikings at the Panthers. Vikings were 11 and 0 in one score games last year, 0 and 3 in one score games this year. They have now just a 2.3 chance to make the playoffs. There's only uh there has not been a team starting 0 and 3 to make the playoffs since the NFL expanded to 17 games. Last team to do it was the 2018 Houston Texans. They got inside the Chargers 6-yard line four times and had 10 points in those trips. They threw the ball 50 times. Cousins was 32 for 50. He leads the league in passing yards. Not Tua, not Mahomes. It's Cousins. He's on pace for over 6,000 passing yards and 51 touchdowns. He's only the fifth player ever to have at least 325 passing yards and two touchdown passes in each of their first three games of a season. They ran the ball a little bit better this week. Madison had 20 carries for 93 yards, but I mean, they allowed 445 yards. Uh, two different receivers to catch seven passes, more than 120 yards. They just, they get lit up, man. They they kept blitzing over and over, and it just wasn't working. C- Herbert completed 40 passes. They just don't have, like you've pointed out, they don't have the personnel to fit Brian Flores' scheme, but they just keep doing it, even when it's not working. Um, So the, the Chargers decide to go for it late in the game on their own 24 with a minute and 46 seconds left, they get stopped. So the Vikings have the ball. They got to score a touchdown. They're down by four with a minute 46. It's a fourth and five on the 15 yard line, 41 seconds to go. They pick it up, but they take 29 seconds to run another play. 
<coughs> they said that they couldn't hear the play being called. There was confusion. It was such an a unbelievable end to a Vikings Charger game that couldn't end any other way than that. All this confusion, all of a sudden there's only 12 seconds left to go. They run a play first and goal from the six and they throw an interception. It's like you couldn't have scripted it in a movie for it to end worse for those two teams. Now, I got to say, Carolina, if Andy Dalton's playing, I'm playing Carolina here. See, so this is this is my thing. Like, I have a couple, I have a thesis. Young was benched. You can't tell me that he has an ankle injury and he's standing up. That game was four hours with how many goddamn penalties they had. Yeah, that he's standing, standing up, up for the whole time. Four yeah. hours in no walking boot, walking around on the sideline with an ankle injury. He got benched. I mean, he footwork sucks. He's not seeing guys. My main thing is this: this is why this is my worry with the Panthers. Frank Wright in the team meeting saying, "Hey, you know what?" We need to get Adam Thielen the ball. He had, what, 15 targets? He had 11 catches for 145 yards. It's absolutely absurd. Now, granted, Mingo got hurt, you know, but you have Terrence Marshall. You have Miles Sanders. You have Hayden Hurst. Seattle, awful defending the tight end. And for whatever reason, they're just locking it. I just don't get it. Panthers have an absorbent amount of injuries defensively. Offensive line, they had eight false starts on Sunday, and six of them came from the experienced tackles, and they couldn't run the ball either. 14 carries, the noise in Seattle got to them. One point, they had back-to-back penalties, so they go third and four, and all of a sudden, it's third and 14. But, yeah, I, I mean, it just... I don't they, know, like, what's going to... Both these teams are 3-0-3. and oh and three. You know, it's tough to kind of see who's going to show up. From it, what to me, I've it feels like... The Vikings lose this game... Cousins is as good as gone. He's gone. The Jets. Yeah. Um, And I, I think that nothing, I mean, like maybe I, maybe if it gets up to five, like I looked at one book before we started recording, it was at four and a half, but right now, Oh, it's at four and a half here too. But right now there's nothing. Yeah. I'm, if this is on Sunday, if this is, uh, if this is Dalton, I'm playing it at four, four and a half. Cause I think this is a close game. I mean, I think the Vikings probably win a close game here, but young has, only had a better passer rating than Zach Wilson. So Dalton well, had four passes of 20 yards of 20 plus yards in that game. They only had one in the two games with young prior to that. Like, he just was not good. He did not look comfortable. Dalton's a pro and he can at least like make some things happen. And the Vikings don't have a great defense either. So like they should be able to move the ball fine here. Um, but you're right. Like they're depleted now. They lost linebacker Thompson. Horn is out. A couple more on the defensive side went out with injury, and they couldn't beat a banged up Seattle team. But I'm gonna probably play this if it's if it's four ish and it's Dalton on Sunday. I'll be locking it in on Sunday. Let's keep rolling, Eric. We head next to Pittsburgh Steelers at the Houston Texans. Man, Stroud, Dell. Will Anderson, all making massive contributions for the uh, the young Texans team. Pittsburgh's a two-and-a-half-point favorite on the road in here, over under 42. Stroud has been fantastic. 900 passing yards in his first three games, no interceptions. Last week, he was playing without four offensive linemen. And while he has some pro-wide receivers, right, there are some solid wide receivers in the room. He doesn't have a number one guy. There's no Jefferson or... A guy like a Keenan Allen last week. There's no receiver that is 
just a playmaker that's, you know, unguardable. He's the one doing the work out there. He actually has seven dropped passes, which is second most in the league. He's only the third quarterback ever to throw for 900 over their first three starts, Herbert and Cam Newton, and the only one that doesn't have an interception. He was fantastic against the Blitz last week, 8 of 11 for 130 yards and two touchdowns. They had a kick return touchdown, an 85-yard return by the fullback. 255 pounds, Eric. That is the heaviest player ever with a kick return of at least 50 yeah, yards. That was a little funky play, though. That was like I know. how it, it was more funky. It was um, funny. Go ahead. Sorry. No, it was, it was a funny play. And uh, yeah, I mean, their, their special teams was good. And I was just impressed overall because I think you and I have gone back and forth on what about as Ryan's a good coach, is not. This week, I thought they prepared the team very well for a team that was down eight starters, four offensive linemen. And whoever is working with, Stroud is doing a really good job with him because he looks very well prepared and and not rattled at all. Yeah, he looks the part. Like for me in this one, I I got this at three, um, two and a half. Eh. Stay away, I'm but three I'm in favorite. Three or more, 22, 33 and one. That's forty percent ATS. Stroud has looked absolutely lights out. Texans, you know, they're getting healthier, which is going to be huge for them. Pickett looked good, but it's against the Raiders. So how much can you really take that for what it's worth? Pitt O-line has some issues. I think Will Anderson and crew is going to be able to get home against Pickett. Um, Steelers have been very, very, very sloppy. You can run on them ever since came Hayward went out. Maybe we see Damian Pierce bounce back. And also, this isn't like a typical game. Like normally when teams play the Steelers, like because the Steelers are so popular, it's like 60-40. Well, J.J. Watt is going in the ring of honor or whatever the hell it's called there. Uh, Number number retired, ring of honor, like whatever. So there's going to be the emotion there, and it's going to be a predominantly Texans-type crowd. I like the Texans here plus the three. I'm just higher on them than the Steelers. Steelers have some major major issues going on. Their defense is what Brown says. Matt Canada needs to go to Canada. So he does. And the defense is is good where you expect it to be good. I think you can you can hit them in spots. And on offense, yeah, they looked better last week. They're still 30th overall in EPA per dropback. They're in front of the Bears and the Jets. That's it. Those are the only two offensive they've been better than so far. Um, but Watt, Watt's a monster. I mean, he can wreak havoc on anyone. That that's my concern if you play the Texans this week. And I might at plus three is that. If they're without four offensive linemen and Watt is just un- unblockable, that this could be one of those games where it's like, oh, you know, there's been a lot of Stroud buzz this week, right? Like this could be a Watt sacks him a few times, like welcome to the show, Rook. So that that would be my only concern there, but not with the Steelers outscoring them offensively. This next game, can't really get too excited about what I saw from the Saints late with Jameis in that game. Uh, they were up early in the game, 17-0. Carr gets hurt. Then they gained 49 yards on four drives and just two first downs. They did have a drive that goes eight plays, 70 yards. They missed a 46-yard field goal, which actually could have won the game for them. It was actually the largest blown lead since week three of 2012. Offensive line was not good. 33% pass block win rate, 38% pass rush win rate. Guard Ruiz had to leave the game early. That hurt their depth overall. Um, in a game like this, divisional game, and if we're going to get over a field goal, 
I think Tampa's defensive line could perform well against the Saints' offensive line here. I think Tampa has done enough offensively, and they've shown enough to me through three games where I think their offense might be just as good or better than the Saints has been. Um, so at over a field goal, I would be on the Tampa side here, Eric. Yeah, I took Tampa here. Winston, 8-19-1, ATS is a fave. Um, and what when you rewatch that game for the Bucks on Monday night, and on the first half, look, Evans had some drops, drops. dropped a touchdown. Uh, that game was a little bit closer. Eagles, I think, what was it, got 10 points out of Hertz's turnovers, which was absolutely insane. Um, I just think the Bucks are going to be able to stop the run. Kamara's coming back. How are, are how is that going to look? Working him in there. Saints, you can run on them. Bucks have the ninth best DVOA defense versus the pass. I think this is going to lead into some Winston turnovers. So look, I I like the Bucks here. I played the three and a half. I think I think a sneaky um, person for uh, DFS is Chris Olave. Averages yeah, he's been money, man. During um, whatchamacallit, during Winston starts, um, you know, had a buck 47 last, had nine for a buck 47 last game. Bucks this year, I, the opposing team's number one wide receiver. Brown, nine for 131, more six for 104. Jefferson, nine for 150. I would definitely put a lot in my DFS lineups and probably bet his prop to go over his rushing yards. This next game, Washington at Philadelphia. The Eagles are an eight-point favorite. I'm going to say little about this game because I just don't want to touch much of it. And I'm I'm still pissed off last week, Eric. Uh, Sam Howell, you and I are playing in a fantasy matchup. I have to throw in a quarterback fill-in. And, like, on the waiver wire, the guy who's supposed to, like, who's supposed to get the most projected and just sort of looking at the game shape, it's like, yeah, he's a, a... dog against the bills he'll have to be coming from behind be throwing sam howell got 0.56 and i lost a fantasy matchup to eric by less than two points so if sam howell gets five i win that game he gets 0.56 uh it's okay i don't mind losing to you buddy if i have to lose to anyone but but he was not good he got sacked nine times that's 19 sacks now in three games he's thrown four interceptions i mean that right there They've been sacked 19 times, and the Eagles' defensive line could just wreak complete havoc on them. But I'm not confident enough in the Eagles' offense. They haven't really been moving the ball well through the air. They haven't really hit that. And the Eagles' secondary, you can attack them. So I like I can't get a good enough feel for this. I, I would never be laying it with the Eagles, but I don't feel confident enough to play the Commanders at plus the eight. Do you? I want to, but I just can't. I, I just yeah. I want to also because they got crushed. Nobody's going to want to play them after last week, right? Hertz as a favorite at home is nine, two, and one. Hertz is 20 and one in his last 21 starts in the regular season. 20 and one. (laughs) Yeah. 12 and five and one ATS against the number at home. Uh, Is the O-line going to be able of the commanders to block the Eagles? I don't think so. Are they going to be able to stop the rush? Like I, this is just, this is just a pass for me. Even though I really want to take the Commanders here, I, do too. I think I'd need ten. That would ha- that would be the point where I would think there was enough value if it was double digits. But 
yeah, I'll stay away from there. Raiders at the Chargers. Man, we have two coaches in this game that were so inept last week in certain spots. I have no problem. I like, look, I have no problem with Staley going for it. I don't like, either. Right I, I just no have a problem with earlier in the game, him not going for it in, in similar situations. And then last week, kicking it on the 40. Like that's yeah. my, my, is there's no consistency anymore. I think he's finally, I think he was feeling this week that they were down 0-2. I think he thought if they lost, he was gone to where he's now going to just say F it. I'm going to go out doing what I want, what I thought I should have. Because when he came into the league, he was going forward on every fourth down. He was super analytic. And now it's been, and then last year it was like he overcorrected so much that he was not even going for it when he should have all the time. That made no, that makes no sense to me at all. And, and I, again, like the play call, maybe get creative. They, couldn't run the ball at all. They had 15 carries and 30 yards as a team. So do something a little more creative. Yeah, run you know, like, like a you know, like with a little pick play going or anything. You know, I don't, I don't mind the call at all. But man, it's the same stuff for them. Banged up again already. Mike Williams torn ACL. He's out for the rest of the year. Keenan Allen looked good. That was, dude, a monster game. And like visibly, he was just bouncing all over the place. 215 yards, 18 catches. He also had a 49-yard touchdown pass. Herbert was 40 for 47. It was the first time ever a quarterback completed 85-plus percent of their passes on 45-plus attempts. And it's just the defense, man. They've been miserable. Their pass defense, they're giving up huge explosive plays every week. Week one, Dolphins hit them. 47-yard pass, multiple explosive plays. Week two, Titans, 47-yard pass. This week, Vikings, 53-yard pass. You can't give up a 50-yard play every week. You have to tighten that up a little bit. I don't mean the Tennessee. I mean Titan. How about the Raiders? So they're down by eight. It's fourth and four. They're down by eight with three minutes to go in the game. And it's fourth down and four. They send a field goal team out. They get a penalty on the field goal, so they get an automatic first down, and the drive continues. Now it's a minute later. It's fourth and four on the eight-yard line. Two minutes and 25 seconds left to go in the game. They send out the field goal team again. Like, what the hell is he smoking? How about this? Since the two-point conversion was adopted, 1994, this is the only time in history a team attempted a field goal in the last three minutes of the fourth quarter when they were down by exactly eight points with less than five yards to go for a first down or a touchdown. It has never happened before because anyone, if you've got one play to get four yards, why wouldn't you keep trying to score a touchdown if you got the ball? It doesn't make any sense. You you don't even know if you're going to get the ball back ever. It's like, and of course... Pittsburgh picks up a first down. So by the time the Raiders get the ball back, they're down by uh, five points and there's 12 seconds left. They have no timeouts and they're on their own 15. Nice talk. Not nice clock management there. McDaniels. It just like it. Unbelievable. I, I was like, everybody was. And it's funny when that happens and we're all watching it together on social media and everyone's like, what the hell is he doing right now? And I, I mean, 
Because of that, I can't touch this game with a 10-foot pole with these two coaches. I can't ever touch the Chargers laying five and a half. They're going to be way more Raider fans at this game than Charger fans. But Jimmy G has been terrible. He's in concussion protocol. Um, he had three interceptions. He has six interceptions on the year. I don't want anything to do with this game. Um, I'm looking at this. Herbert, you know, just struggles. They're 13, 17, and one as a favorite, home favorite, 9, 11, and one. JC Jackson, what's going on with his arrest situation? There's some speeding violation um, that a warrant was arrested for him. Chargers still struggle ta- stopping the run. Garoppolo's banged up. We don't know what to do with him. Look, again, I just want nothing to do with this game. I will maybe look at Keenan Allen props, though. Um, yeah, man. Especially is. when Eckler's out, he gets just peppered, man. Well, this is his last 10 games. Targets. 20, 10, 9, 13, 11, 6, 14, 9, 14, 14. And so the 14, believe, 14, and 9 are this year, right? Those are the three this no, year. No, no. This year is 20, 10, and 9. With more, who we thought was going to be. And, yeah. and what they're doing, too, is they're down the field more. Because yeah. they're they're taking, not Kellen more, down the field more often. Uh, they're taking advantage of Herbert. Herbert threw like a 25-yard dart across his body like one of the most incredible throws ever it's like unbelievable the arm strength this guy has I, yeah i just I, I we're both staying away from this one but eric i locked in the cardinals plus 14 in this next game like that's to me that's too many points for this cardinals team they could be three and oh they've outscored their opponents by 34 points in the first half of games they're 10th in epa per play on offense they're ninth in EPA per, per rush. They were up in the fourth quarter, 16-10 against Washington. They had a 28-7 lead over the Giants, and they just beat the crap out of the Cowboys. They rushed for 180 yards in the first half. That's the most uh, rushing yards in any half by any team in the NFL this year. Their offensive line was really good. They ended up getting 222 rushing yards, 7.4 yards per carry, the most for Arizona since week six of 2020. Dude, Dobbs was signed two weeks before the season started. And shout out to him, man. That was his first ever win as a starter. I don't know if you saw the video of him on social media where he went to the uh, the merchandise store and they don't have his jersey. Yeah, He can't buy, and he tried yeah. to type it in and it, it wouldn't even do it. He said, come on, I wanted to order it. And I will be critical of people and horses and anything that I bet on. And I'll be critical because I will also praise. I laughed at the videos of Jonathan Gannon where he was talking and trying to rally uh, rally guys up and this and that. And we laughed at him. Dude, this coach has done a great job with this team. Everybody thought they were going to be not even competitive in any game. And they are they have been solid against most metrics. They have been way, way overplaying their talent level. And he's got this team out there prepared. And they're doing a really nice job, man. So I want to give him credit. I think this is too big of a number for a team that's been playing feisty so far. But see, this is my counter to that. Okay. Like the Cowboys are the most popular team in the league. Right. So everyone's going to notice how the Cardinals just beat them. Is that going to attract more people to bet the Cardinals? Well, my only thing is it doesn't bother me if it's not into the number, right? Like if it's built into the number that that's my issue is that because San Francisco right now is way more hyped than a Cardinals team. I think people were like, like impressed by what they saw. If this number was nine, I would say that I would say, wow, this is a lot of people that are like giving 
Arizona way too much credit for the win over that. I thought this this number last week was 12 against Dallas, and that number was too high. This number shouldn't have been higher than that. Like, this number, I, like, that was way too high. Like, th- I th- think everybody's still a little off on Arizona. And San Francisco's good. I mean, Purdy hasn't been as sharp this year. He's graded quarterback 20 in pro football focus. It's all about the yards after the catch with them. It's not any knock on San Francisco here. To me, I've just been a little bit more impressed with Arizona overall. I As soon as it got to 14, that was a buy-in point for me. Sounds like you're not really invested in this one one way no, or the other. I'm looking at the splits right now. Um, 55% of the money, sorry, 55% of the bets is on Arizona, but 60% of the money is on um, San Francisco. So, you know, it's a little bit, seems like there's more bets, but more money coming on San Francisco. If I'm going to do anything in this game, I'll look to bet Zach Ertz under his, um, his number, just because Fred Warner is the best in the league defending the tight end. But in terms of getting involved in a side here, I just, I mean, after if the cards wouldn't have won, I'd probably be involved. But since they won, and I just I don't want anything to do with this game. Yeah, because for I completely understand what you're saying. I just don't know if it's built into the number at all. Like it, yeah. it, to me, if it were down a little bit, but um, I I completely agree with you. I, I'm never trying to play the teams that feel like they're coming off of like a high value point. But I think San Francisco is just such a high value team in the market. Like everybody is always really all in on the 49ers couple more games to hit at, Eric. We'll get through them quickly here. Cowboys and Patriots. They win the 15th straight time over the Jets due the Patriots. Patriots are at the Cowboys, excuse me. This game is a seven-point spread right now. Man, Cowboys come off that bad loss we just talked about to Arizona. I actually would like to play Dallas in a, in a spot like off of such a bad loss, but not as a seven-point favorite. and Not as a team where I have to ask questions like, you know, how good are they? They beat the Giants against a bad offensive line. They beat the Jets with Zach Wilson and they got beat up last week in the first time they had any adversity. And now they're missing. They had three offensive linemen out. They just lost digs. And so now what ends up happening? Gilmore has to be your number one coverage guy. And he's not that good, Eric, you know? So yeah. it's, it's like a bad domino effect for everyone. Like I, I think the Cowboys are the side. I just wouldn't play it at this big of a number. And See, I took, I took the Patriots. Well, yeah, I, I would take – that's what I mean. I wouldn't take the number. Like, as soon as it hits seven, that's too much. I think the Cowboys will play better. I'm just not all that impressed with them overall. My problem is I'm not that impressed with the Patriots either. Offensively I'm is looking, where I'm worried. I look at – you know, we talked about before. I look at the world. There's could There could be a world, an alternate universe where the Patriots are 3-0. and They start off the game awful against the Eagles – two turnovers, but still were in a position to cover, let alone even win, win the game. Then after that, they played the um, Dolphins. Dolphins, six, six trips, only three in the territory, only three, three points. And then they just beat the Jets in a monsoon. So I think this team could be a little better than the record indicates, but you know what? They lost two games. They easily could have won. Um, I looked at the production of the Cowboys defense when Diggs was on the field versus when Diggs isn't on the field. It's not as good as a defense. Everyone thinks Micah Parsons is the engine that could on this defense. It's actually kind of Diggs. So the defense goes down. Their main issue coming into the year was running the ball. They have given up the eighth 
most rushing yards this year, which is kind of crazy to me because this is their big weakness. They used the high draft pick on um, the kid from Michigan Smith, and that just really hasn't hasn't panned out. DVOA has them graded 20th against the run. I think the Patriots are really going to look to run the ball on them. Zeke. The Cardinals rushed, the, rushed for 222 yards last week. And Zeke got more involved. He had 16 carries for 80 yards. They're a little banged up on both sides of the line now. I think that's what's been concerning me a little bit because the, the offensive line and the defensive line's missing some and, pieces. And I just – I don't know if I've ever just been a Mac, a Mac Jones guy. I think in, without – Three. three. They already have three out, probably. Yeah. So big number for two teams whose offenses I don't like. And look, it's it's over unders. Uh, you know, only forty three. So right off the bat, you probably want to take the dog in a situation like that where low total, big spread. Chiefs Jets Sunday night football. Uh, we may be hearing about Taylor Swift in New York here. This one is almost a ten point spread. The Chiefs on the road. They scored seven straight times last week. Four touchdowns from the running backs. They picked on the offensive lineman Taylor. He was the guy on opening night that kept getting penalized or kept um, like should have been getting called for penalties and wasn't. And since then, they've just been picking on this guy. Two more times he got penalized for lining up in the backfield. This year, their defense much better. Uh, better in particular, the passing defense is a top five passing defense. I'm staying away from this game one way or the other. I do think the Jets are at probably their lowest value point right now as the almost 10-point dog at home. It's just the way these teams match up, Kansas City's defense has actually been pretty solid this year. And Zach Wilson, he just lost all of his confidence. He just He's not like you could just it's, – it's not good. It He's 31st in yards per attempt and 33rd in completion percentage. No depth, no accuracy. Behind him, it's Tim Boyle. And you know the guy who needs to get a little bit of the blame on this too, Eric? It's our guy Hackett. It's the offensive coordinator, Hackett, who was so miserable with the Broncos last year. Now it's Hackett and Zach Wilson together. I want to take the Jets badly. I think I'd need 10 to dive in because, man, they just... I kind of want to take the Jets here, but I really think... Look, if I... My thought process is this. I got to see how the how the day goes. If this gets to 10... And the public gets killed. We're gonna get a little inflation here. Uh, home this is gonna, let me say this: more. this is getting to ten. This is that Taylor yeah. Swift money now. Home, home dog. This is gonna get there on Sunday night. Sixty-two point five percent. Mahomes seven or more on the road. Thirty-three percent. This is a lot of points. Jets defense is good. They're I mean, very is, good. This is a good defense. Um, yeah, I just I don't know. I just. You need, you need a big though. spread with Wilson. That's the thing. You need the double digits yeah. there at home because, man, the guy, poor guy just looks just looks shell-shocked out there. Final game, Monday night football. We go Seattle at the Giants. Uh, Giants, slight favorite in this one. It's basically a pick em. Seattle, they've uh, bounced back the last two weeks pretty nicely. Offensively, they've looked pretty good, and they were running the ball a little bit better. For the Giants, they are depleted by injuries. They were down four starters last year. Uh, last week, I got to say, I and they were without Barkley, still a little disappointed because I like their coaching staff so much that they haven't been competitive against a couple of the better teams. They have played two of the better defenses, though, so far. And now the game against Arizona, if Arizona isn't as bad as we all thought, maybe it doesn't look as bad as, as we thought when they were down early there. 
Do you have a strong opinion on the Monday night football game one way or the other? I'll probably end up in New York. Um, yeah, I, really I think I'm on that side too. Feeling. I really don't think I have any, any rhyme or reason for it, but I think I, um, you know, I think I'll end up in New York. I, I mean, think that, with the few extra days off, kind of like my thing, few extra days off. Cause they had a uh, short week after Barkley got hurt and they didn't have a whole lot of time to maybe, Hey, let's use Waller. Let's use Hyatt. Let's find a way to use some of these guys. Now they got a few extra days. I trust their coaching staff. I think they're going to be better than they showed the first couple weeks. Yeah, and you know, Dable is historically good. Um, I don't know this. This I know the Seattle team won, but I just don't like them that much. I know me either. Um, I don't them. I'm kind of trying to look at it right now in terms of like days in between games. What is this? Eleven days? Yeah, since Thursday when they played San Fran. Teams with eleven days rest. That are home that are home are 13 and 13 and 11 ATS. So so I mean there's nothing really. Um I'll look straight up real quick. Go ahead, sir. Uh, Eric, as you look that up for us, it looks like this week we've got the Bills, the Texans, the Buccaneers as three that we liked. Uh the other two I think we probably will lock in would be the Giants here. We could lock in as our fifth one. We need one more. It would either be I'm okay with Patriots. We can go Patriots plus seven for the other one. Yeah, I'm okay All with right, that. Cool. Yeah, so that'll be our five this week. Remember, folks, Eric and I will uh, be hanging out on Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern time for the winning ticket on DRF Sportsbook. Follow Eric on Twitter, etof 21 and check out all of his great stuff, etof 21 Sports. You can find out where podcasts come out later this week. Anytime he has live streams that come out uh, for the football games and talking a lot of college, he had his podcast last night that came out. And then Sunday, we'll have even more information and preview all of these games on Sunday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern time. Anything else you need to plug or mention before we get out of here, buddy? Uh, no, let's make some money. Let's cash some tickets. And let's, uh, you know, try to make it another good week, my man. Good luck, everyone out there. And uh, we always thank Eric for all the hard work and hanging out with us. We'll be back next week to preview all of these. But we'll hopefully see a lot of you on Friday for the winning ticket at DRF Sportsbook. And that's going to do it for this episode of That's What G Said Podcast. A big thank you to TK for helping us out with Ahsoka. Good luck on Sunday at Woodbine and at Santa Anita. Remember, we'll have coverage of those tracks every day. There's racing there. We'll have some sort of best bets, sometimes a pick five, sometimes full analysis of whatever the big races are, sometimes guests, but always some thoughts on Santa Anita and on Woodbine. And then NFL Week 4, good luck. Already going to be into NFL Week 5. Scary how fast we are moving through the football season. Have a great Sunday into Monday, and we'll talk to you next week, folks.